Another day, man. Trying to share share this thing. Oh, I'm trying to remove it. Coming. I don't know how I got that on there. <laughs> I to put it in a private joint. Yeah, be good. Yeah, man. We are um, more than halfway done with the week, man. Yes, sir. Football back tomorrow. Yep. yep. Yeah, man. Uh, been a long off season. Yes, sir. You know, a, a lot shaking up in the NFL too. It's gonna be interesting to see these moves and these running backs specifically. But uh, ready for a show? Yeah, 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 man. Man, look, Someone. we um, go ahead. What you about to say? Go ahead. Yeah, I was about to say. Well, uh, we uh, we got a good one tonight, man. We um, we got Patrick Alexander on tonight. Uh, Patrick Lamumba, um, he's uh, coming on to talk to us about Mississippi on the move. The uh, Black Liberation Movement, and also their um, um, summit that's coming up in Jackson, Mississippi, this coming week on the fifteenth through the seventeenth. So, um, without further ado, we're gonna bring on brother Patrick Lamumba Alexander. Uh, happy print, happy print, happy print. What's up, man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's up, guys? What's up, man? What's hey, up? I'll, I'll backstage. Look, man, y'all boy made me feel 20 years younger than this. <laughs> <laughs> Why you say that, man? Man, look, y'all bumping the new music, man. I don't really, I can't identify with the with the people that's saying whatever it is that they saying, but I heard some good stuff. I know that, and it was a nice beat, so I was just vibing, bro. Bro, or oh, that yeah. look, that's one, that's that's one of our own. You know, we try to play uh, yeah. as much as man. Yeah. Man. Know as we can, so okay. uh, no representing for the brand. Like that, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. what's up. Yeah. So before down. we jump in, Matt, go ahead, go ahead and tell them what that is, Matt. All right, that's uh John Carl Monster off of Arrogance, dropping 2017. But uh, you know, we we when we bring different people on, we kind of try to pick songs that identify with them if we got something that fits. So uh, that that song kind of fit with the things you do and the work that you contribute. Uh, to the community and throughout, so that's why I was vibing to it. I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's up. And selected for you. That's what's up, man. Like y'all guys, man. That's good. That's good. Good stuff. Yeah, man. So, um, welcome to Sticks and Stones, man. I know Jick and I saw you down at Kim and Coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess a few weeks back um, on mm-hmm. the Meet the Candidates platform. Prior to them mm-hmm. uh, coming on, I know you kind of set the set the tone there. So um, mm-hmm. just kind of um, touch on man, what um, what you been up to lately? 
man, more more of that. You know what I'm saying? More of that uh process, uh more of that agenda. Uh Mississippi on the move and uh pushing the practical campaign of what it is all about. And I guess that's what this show is about, you know, is uh figuring out, you know, what is Mississippi on the move. And uh I'm really glad that you all have me on today, you know, to give me the opportunity to speak to your generation, you know, y'all generation, y'all generation right under me. You know, so I consider a generation every 20 years. 20 years give a man the opportunity to produce another child on average. You see what I'm saying? So that's how I count generations. You know what I'm saying? So y'all probably, I'll probably be 20 years y'all senior, probably 15 years, I don't know, somewhere along in there. So speaking to your generation, you know, with the with the campaign that we uh, implement with, with Mississippi on the move, which is an agenda that falls under the banner of the Black Liberation Movement. And I know y'all have uh, seen me promoting and propagating the Black Liberation Movement for a long time. And uh, the Black Liberation Movement has a lot of layers to it. You know what I'm saying? It has a lot of layers to it. And uh, most people don't see it being that broad. You know what I'm saying? They don't see uh, liberation. They see, you know, well, what's Black Liberation? Black power, you know, and where does Black power kind of take? Well, it kind of takes a lot of things. You know, so you got the political aspect, you got the economic aspect, you got the educational aspect, you got the entertainment aspect, man. You know what I'm saying? You you come to a lot of that with your entertainment, just catering to a segment of the community. You said that that music identified with what it is that I do. So entertainment is an area of battle. You know what I'm saying? So not going too far into that, but just kind of giving an introduction. The Black Liberation Movement spawned a lot of different things. And Mississippi on the Move is a political education program. It's a political education campaign that's designed to galvanize black people to concentrate um, in a lot of ways, I, I guess you could say the black electoral power, you know what I'm saying? The black electing power, like being able to determine who's gonna lead us in certain respective positions throughout our community. Okay, and basically- I'm, I'm sorry, not, not, not to cut you off. But we, we, we're going to jump into all that. But um, okay. given the highlight there, let's take a step back and, and let's, okay. let's go into um, prior to uh, leading and, and becoming uh, a part of a member of the Black Liberation Movement. We're going to touch on you coming up because I know we one thing we do, we, we start with Coldwater and we know you're Tate County. So we're going to go back to that and go from there up. So, okay. so I'm going to turn it over to Jake. Uh, we're going to kick off about Tate County and then move back into that. Because that's a little deeper, so we don't want to jump straight into it. We want to get get to that point. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, uh, so just, just jumping back um, to the beginning, like just kind of looking back on your childhood, <clears throat> who would you say um, were some of the, you know, the early people who influenced you and had a major, you know, impact, you know, on on your life? Michael Jordan. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> – I, I know the question you asked me, but I'm an athlete too. Of course, y'all got to know that too. Right? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, but 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 early in my life, you know, uh, after I realized I wasn't going to the NBA, you understand what I'm saying? My life was interrupted uh, by circumstances that black, young black brothers' life get interrupted. You know, hell, I thought I was going uh, to uh, honor basketball scholarship that I was getting coming out of high school, but tragedy befell me and I end up in a prison institution. Bet y'all didn't know that. Bet y'all did not know that. Definitely didn't. Okay. Did not. Okay, so 
experiencing something um as trans transitioning as prison can change your life and every action is preceded by thought so it changed my thought on how i looked at life i didn't feel like i was supposed to be with the prison i was a scholar athlete but you know due to the circumstances i ended up in prison so when you're in prison <laughs> a lot you got a lot of time to think i tell you that Jig. you know you got a lot of time to think and I had a lot of time to reflect on my life and to reflect on what had just happened to me. You know what I'm saying? And I seen uh, a system that was unforgiving. Uh, a, a, a criminal, what we call a criminal justice system, really a criminal injustice system. You know, when it comes to uh, being forgiven of black men, as we can see, you know, things that still going on today. But I went to prison, bro, and I thought I was supposed to be in uh, another institution. You know, I was supposed to be in a learning institution playing basketball just like you know anybody else but that's what befell me so during that process I learned a lot you know young man growing up in Senatobe Coldwater area uh going to the churches I, I was brought up in the church you know what I'm saying um the church fashioned a lot of my thinking you know but I always had an aspect of me that always questioned things you know always questioned you know certain things but uh so my thinking evolved when I was in prison. My thinking began to evolve. I started to read more, and I started to explore more, and I started to read the things that young black men don't read, you know what I'm saying? And I started looking at things, you know, from a different perspective, and it made sense to me. It made sense to me even what had happened to me and how the system was unforgiving in sending me to prison, you know what I'm saying? So that kind of fashion and shaped and molded my life, you know, so... When I began to think different, my actions changed. You know, my perspective on society changed. And I began to be outspoken. Just as outspoken as I was on the basketball court, I began to be that outspoken person on the political level, you know, on a religious level. You know, so that don't always sit well with people in your community, you know, because people like to be comfortable. They don't want to shake no water. They don't want to, you know, do things that's against the norm. But I seen a system that was so corrupt that it could disrupt Good people lie. You know what I'm saying? So I thought something should be done about that. So that began the fashioning and the sharpening of my mind. And I was not apologetic about expressing that, even as a young guy about 19, 20 years old. So that's the conception of, you know, what has evolved to Patrick Lamoon. So um, as far as, you know, coming up in Tate County, was there, was there anybody um, that you can remember that just kind of, yeah. you know, took you, took you by the side and that you just kind of, you know, looked up to, you know, that kind of set the path for, you know, where you mm -hmm. are now? Well, really, nobody in the community it really educated me, Jit. You know, and I know where you're kind of going, but it was some examples of people in the community that reflected my ideas that I that had began to evolve with me. You know, you had, of course, the pioneers like Winston King. You know, Winston King Sr. that just passed away. He was a very, very, um, uh, I guess you would say, uh, outspoken uh, person in the community. And, um, and and what was so powerful about a person like Winston King was that he lived his his beliefs. You know, 
he believed that he's supposed to be in downtown on Main Street uh, opening the cleaners when the politics of the of the area did suggest that he's supposed to did, do that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But he did it anyway, you know? And he was very successful at what it was he did. So you got people like Winston King, you know, and uh, he expressed his ideologies and his belief openly. And But then you have people like William Earl Davis. And I'm just talking about people that y'all should know, you know. And, um, you know, these people were very strong. And then you have what I call the civil rights activist uh, community, like people like Michael Cass, uh, people like Jesse Elbert, you know, people like uh, Miss Mildred LeSueur, who went on to become the professional that we know now and putting their mark and imprint on our communities, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, some of the people that y'all know, like Mr. Crowder and, and all those people, you know, at some point, you know, I looked at all those people and, and they began to evolve you know, my thinking, but I can't really even say that any of them actually was as, you see, people would call me militant. You see, you see what I'm saying? But yeah. I'm, to me, I'm not militant. I'm, I'm rational. I'm logical. You know what I'm saying? In my thinking. But those are some of the people, you know, they influence, you know, yeah. had some influence. Yeah. And look, we, we ask that question to everybody. So. Yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> that's what's up. <laughs> so. So, the, where did you? I know you grew up in Take County, Senatobia mostly, right? Yes, sir. So, yes. so how do you feel like, or do you feel like, uh, growing up in Senatobia, seeing what you seen, uh, experiencing what you experienced at an early age? How do you feel like that contributed uh, to the person you are today? Okay, good question, Matt. Um, <clears throat> see. When we were coming up, we always made a comparative with cold water. You know, people that went to Senatoga, we always made a comparative with cold water. Like, we were better. You know what I'm saying? Just being honest, we, we felt like we were better. You know, coming up in Senatoga, even though I grew up in the project. So I really wasn't identifying with my community. I was identifying with my school. And what made me think that I was better going to Senatoga? Than the people that were going to Cold War. What what made me feel like I was better? Hell, I grew up at 508 B Cox Street in Senatoria in the project. But see, a lot of our thinking and a lot of what makes us think we better has to do with our association to white people. See, if if if, if people would be honest, they would come to the same determination. It's like your proximity to white people make you feel you better. Why people leave Cold Water community and move to DeSoto County? Really, really, why do they do that? Because they think it's a better place to live, right? So who civilized the Soto County? Who set the standards? So then when we leave Coldwater High School, why we don't go back to Coldwater and build that community? Why we don't do that? Because we don't think Coldwater shit, just to be honest. So we were doing the same thing when we were younger as, as people who went to Senatobia High School. We thought our proximity to white people and their tax dollars being put into what seemed to be a better school system made us better. But actually, community-wise, we were no better off than the black people in Coldwater. And actually, the black people in Coldwater were actually more community uh, strong than we were in Senatoga. And I had that argument all the time with, with people that graduated from Senatoga. You know what I'm saying? So the, 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 the question become, Matt, 
What do we value? What do black people value? Do we value what we have or do we value what other people have? So that became the question. So just coming up in Senatobia, uh, we will always make a comparison, you know what I'm saying, with Cold War. But see, now with my more mature thinking, I understand the value of black spaces. And actually, when I go all over the nation and, and talk on this black liberation level, I don't tell people I'm from Senatobia. I tell people I'm from Cold Water, Mississippi. <laughs> Real talk. Yes, sir. Yeah. Why is that? Because I want to identify with a black community. You see what I'm saying? I want to identify yeah, yeah. with a black community. I'm proud of black people. Most of us are not proud of, of ourselves. You know, we become uh, what I call rugged individuals. We don't think of ourselves as a collective, as a race, like other people think of themselves. We yeah. compete with each other. We don't have a collective mindset about each other. So when we get in collective spaces like we used to have, we used to value those spaces, but now we don't. That's why Cold Water ain't got no school right now. When you boil all the fat off of it, Cold Water lost their school because the politics of white supremacy suggests that black people in Tate County don't need a school. And the politics moved that way. Okay, the politics moved that way, and it wasn't enough black people who value Cold Water to actually put together a formidable response. Because it's black people that come up in cold water that don't care to live there. And that's how that's how our black spaces lose value. That's actually how you create create a ghetto too. When all the knowledge and all the talent leave the place. And you create your own ghetto, you know, because ain't nobody staying there with value. So I value that. And I know that I'm on a more mature level of thinking about our spaces than most people because I value black spaces. You know, I think it makes it safe for our children. Let me let me ask you. I'm gonna show you exactly what I'm talking about. I'm proof to y'all. Do you think that what happened to Lil Quintavious Easton in Senatobia would have happened to him in Cold War? Nah, no, I don't. Now, now, be honest. Why do you think it wouldn't have happened to him? Because of the community. It probably the, called most of the police the, black. The officers probably black. Yeah, <laughs> you got to be honest. Otherwise, we're gonna strain the conversation. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying? So the thing is, we wouldn't have done our own like that. You know, so when Quintavious got done like that, I couldn't deal with that. I couldn't deal with a black child, ten years old, facing that type of inhumane treatment on that level by people that we pay tax dollars to do different. I couldn't deal with that, but I couldn't get one preacher. I couldn't get one black politician, I couldn't get one black professional to come and stand with me and Miss East. Today. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard, right? You talking about yeah. today or just I'm, throughout I'm this whole ordeal? I'm talking about up until today because it was a couple people that came out today that went there from the beginning. Yeah. But we can talk about that whenever y'all get ready to talk about okay. that. So. I don't want to go too far. Well, well, well since we're there, uh, unless y'all want to jump into his entrepreneurial start, we can just go ahead. Go ahead. We can stay right here. Yeah, let, yeah, let's roll with it. Yeah. Keep talking, Pat. Right. You got, you, I see you with your beat, so, so keep on rolling. <laughs> yes, sir. So, hey, look, man. That, that's what I call capitulated black leadership. Capitulated, surrendered, sell out black leadership. You know what I'm saying? When black uh, leaders are really not black leaders, what they really become is black opportunities. They become black opportunities that 
uh, misappropriate the black vote. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so and they miss. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, just just kind of back up a little bit and just inform the people on exactly uh, what their press conference was about today. That press conference was about us announcing that we have legal representation to actually sue the city of San Antonio for their inappropriate action uh, uh, to uh, young Quintavious East. You know, it was to put the sir the city notice that they are going to be sued for the civil and human injustice that they perpetrated on a 10-year-old boy. That was the press conference for us. So what happened was that we explored our options. You know, that stuff went viral. You know what I'm saying? That was a, a, a extremely egregious action that the central police took. You know what I'm saying? It's almost unbelievable. It, it's almost unbelievable to people. They ain't unbelievable to me. The stuff I see across this state, the stuff I go and deal with across this state, you know, it's not unbelievable to me. I'm dealing with uh, black, black, young black boys and mothers whose son been cut up and, and, and they bodies dissected by, by white folks and, and white uh, power is is, is is hiding it and, and, and we dealing with stuff like that. So this wasn't uh, something that surprised me but being that it happened right here, I think it shocked the community. And when you start seeing this stuff all over the Breakfast Club, all over Indisputable with Rashad Richard and they become national, when you look around you, you would think, hell, we done sought Senator, we should have sought Senator on fire. But hell, you wouldn't have known the difference. You know what I'm saying? If the stuff had not hit social media and the national people didn't get it and, and seen that it was a greasy, if you just looked around the community, you wouldn't see no outcry. You wouldn't see nobody upset about it or nothing. Business so as usual. Yeah, business as usual. I, I'm like, I got a real problem with that. Like, these white folks step all the way out of bounds, man. They dealing with our children like this. You know what I'm saying? Just last year, I was dealing with the Emmett Till issue down there because we found they went down there and found the warrant that was never executed on Carolyn Bryant. I'm down there right there on the front courthouse lawn, just like we were today in Greenwood, the full county. Telling these people, arrest this woman. Uh, she's 90 years old on respirator. I said, arrest her. Arrest her. I don't care if she got one foot in the grave, arrest her. That's me. So even today, we still facing this type of injustice, man. Anytime a police officer can't use better discretion than to arrest a 10-year-old boy? Come on, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you got something here? No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, we've been hearing a lot, or I, or I can say I have, about, you know, the practices of, you know, Senatobi Police Department. So, I guess kind of educate us on, like, some 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 of the other egregious things that have been going on, you know, prior to to this happening, um, because you know I've just seen on social media that like Senator Tobin ain't a place you want to get stopped in no more. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to get stopped ever, but like mm -hmm. what just kind of what's been going on as far as the changes that have taken place, you know, on the police force over the last two or three years. Well, one of the strongest uh, sentiments that exist in the community in Senator is actually resonating from white people. Okay. It's a it's a it's a it's a segment of white people that are very disgruntled with what's happening with the Senatobi Police Department. And this is what they call it. They saying, don't DeSoto my tape. Don't DeSoto my tape. What they mean? 
They simply saying, don't bring that to Soda County stuff down here. You see what I'm saying? So what's mm -hmm. happening is that the Senator Police Department is getting to these white people, is getting infiltrated with the Soto County Rogue Police Officer. You understand what I'm saying? Even yeah. see, I, I don't hold back nothing. No, I, want, I want the smoke. I'm not, I'm talking about hold back anything from the world. Oh, okay. I want the smoke. You know, I talk to people all the time all across the nation. They said, Brother Pat, you know they maybe listen to your call. I'm like, bro, they own all the technology. What are y'all talking about? Okay, mm -hmm. you got a phone that got a camera on it, right? You think you don't want to control that camera? You got to be out your mind. So they can listen to me whenever they want. The thing is, I, I want them to hear what I'm saying. I want to smoke. You think I ain't got an FBI file? I know I got an FBI file. I've been told I got an FBI file. I'm BIE. I'm Black Identity Extreme. Okay? So that ain't no uh, uh, dishonorable thing to me. That means to me that I got to be saying something that got these white folks on alert. That's powerful to me. Okay? Now, to somebody else, they may be scared about that. I ain't, I'm not messed up about that. That means I'm doing something that's consequential for my people. So, you know, just back to your question about what's going on with the Senatorial Police is that they are weaponized and a lot of people in the white community don't like how it's happening and black people should be on notice because we very under politically educated as to what's happening around us. So when you hear terminology like militarizing the police, weaponizing the police, that don't mean nothing good for black folks. Nothing. So that's what's happening in Senatorial. They got a lot of rogue police officers that's out here doing a lot of crazy stuff and they operating with impunity. That means they operate thinking that they don't have no consequence to their action. But we're going to stop that. Yep. <clears throat> you good, man? Yeah, I'm good on that one. Alright, so, um, so ro rolling into the Black Liberation Movement and um, and Mississippi on the move, I know you, you were about to jump into it. And I cut you off, but uh, for people who are wondering what both mean or what one or the other means, uh, would you kind of elaborate on what the mission and the vision is? The Black Liberation Movement came to me because <clears throat> it ain't new. First of all, Black Liberation ain't new. From the 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 day, the moment, the time that they drew the first of our ancestors from the shores of Africa against their will, we started to fight back. Okay. I don't care what you think the narrative is. We were no willing slaves, okay? You know what I'm saying? Some of us were born into it, but we weren't willing. You know what I'm saying? We didn't go without a fight. So that resisted to that process of making us capitulate to white supremacist social order is liberation. That first, when somebody takes you against your will unjustly and you fight back, that's liberation. Some of us just got comfortable with somebody else controlling us. That's slavery. So I have a will for liberation. I have a will to have my own power, my own sovereignty, my own governance, my own freedom. And that always existed in our people. So what I'm reverberating with the Black Liberation Movement is something that's inside all of us. It just depends on how buried it is. You know, how comfortable you is with your money, your materialism, and your white acceptance. 
You know what I'm saying? How comfortable you are. That's why a lot of black people got a problem with me because I make them uncomfortable because they know that I probably got just as much money as you, but I'm not free until I know I'm free. I don't want to be politically dominated. So the black liberation movement spun from ideology that came before me. I didn't create the black liberation movement. I'm just continuing it. If you study your history, there's a lot of people that represented black liberation. You know what I'm saying? They just ain't in our textbooks. <laughs> you know, they ain't in your curriculum as you went through Coldwater High School. Because white people made sure you don't get reminded of black folk that want to fight. Yeah. You don't so, get so, reminded. So. Yes, sir. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I ain't, I ain't trying to no, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'll just give some examples. You don't get reminded of Denmark Gleason. You don't get reminded of Gabriel Plaster. You don't get reminded of Matt Turner. You know what I'm saying? You don't get reminded of people like Harriet Tubman. They ain't in your textbook. Why? These were real people. These were people that fought. These were people that when I teach when I teach our children, they get inspired. They like for real? Like for real? I'm like, yeah, these are your people. But it ain't no curriculum. You know, it ain't no institution that institutionalized that level of our history. And white folks make sure that y'all have heard of CRT, right? Critical race theory. Yeah. That's the whole law, man. White people violent, man. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say because a, a lot of that's constantly being taken out of the schools. I think Arkansas just passed a law that it will be none in, the, in their curriculum at all. Um, and yeah. you know, a lot of other states are following suit, especially in the Bible Belt. Florida going yeah. crazy. Yeah, Florida just snapped out. Florida just said, the Santo just said, Yeah, okay, well, we're gonna teach slavery, but we're gonna teach that slavery helped black folks, <laughs> it taught them skills, and they taught, see, they created a narrative. They said, he, he who controlled the pen control the history you see what i'm saying they control the narrative so they want to teach it and they want to say okay well we're going to teach slavery but we're going to teach that it helped black folks <laughs> you know what i'm saying no what you really need to say to santo is that even in our most deprivated state we were teaching y'all you think eli whitney actually invented the cotton gene he actually invented a way to get the cotton the seeds out of the cotton he wasn't worried about that. He walked in there one day and some slave had invented something to make the work easy. And he just took the idea. Just like they always do. There's an old saying, they said the white man ain't never invented nothing. He just invented the patent off. So we've been doing this, man. For real. So speaking on the black liberation movement, can, can you elaborate on the, the 10 battlegrounds and nine weapons? You know, it was up. So it's nine areas of battle, brother. You know what I'm saying? It's nine areas of battle that we that we uh operate on and that we try to focus on. And they was taught to our people by social scientists like Neely Fuller Jr. If y'all don't know Neely Fuller Jr., I recommend that y'all pick up a book by Neely Fuller Jr. He uh teaches what's called the compensatory compensatory codes of white supremacy. And he has a very, very famous statement that suggests if you don't understand racism and white supremacy, what it is and how it works, everything that you think you know is only confusing you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that one more time for people that might not get it. He said, if you do not understand racism and white supremacy, what it is and how it works, everything that you think you know is only confusing you. So him and Francis Chris Wilson, the author of the ISIS papers, they work together. And actually, he's one of the teachers of Francis Chris Wilson. And she went on to elaborate and say that white supremacy is the most powerful system 
working on the planet. It's the most powerful system on the planet. And being that black people are targeted to become a permanent underclass in the system of racism and white supremacy, Francis Chris Wilson said that black people should be the most serious people on the planet. Now just think about that. How much we play. See what I'm saying? How much we bullshit. You see what I'm saying? We should be the most serious people on the planet because the most powerful system on the planet has determined that we're going to be a permanent underclass. Okay? So, just in terms of that, uh, Matt, the nine areas of battle are politics. No, no, I'm going to start from the top. Economics, education, entertainment, politics, labor, law, war, sex, religion. And the tenth one that was added is health. So those are what we call areas of battle, activity, and concern. Black people should be very serious in those areas. So Mississippi on the Move is a derivative of the Black Liberation Movement and us being serious about our politics. You know, so what I'm doing and what I'm talking about, y'all see that on my head, right? So what, what, what we do, the new logo is, is Mississippi in, inside of Africa because I've been taught by a lot of my great elders that Mississippi is the Africa of the Western Hemisphere. It's just the ecological setup and the history of Mississippi. Uh, it's the Africa of the Western Hemisphere. So what we doing with Mississippi on the move, because I don't know whether y'all know this or not, but Mississippi is the blackest state in the United States. Did y'all know that? Okay. I did. I know it used to be. Well, it still is. You know what I'm saying? Even, even, with, even with black people leaving Mississippi in groves, you know, back in the day, Due to the racial oppression and the and the and the and, and lack of opportunity and just basically trying to escape the thick cloak cloak of racism because so many black people were flooded into Mississippi to be the economic uh labor force for that rich land that's right across that delta right there, right across that bluff. You leave cold water, go into Acapulco, go down that bluff, you're in the north delta. If you keep on down 61. You're going to go across the flattest land in the United States of America and most fertile land in the United States of America. And white folks found that out very early. And they started to do what they did. And it became the strong economic incentivizing process that created this country. So black people were flooding here to the point where black, it was more black people, way more black people than it was white. So when you got that many black people outnumbering white people, an extra uh, extra layer of racism is ignorant because they got to control, you know, all of these black people. So uh, we experience a lot of racism, you know, as black people in Mississippi. But, you know, Mississippi on the move is designed to go back into the Delta, go back into Tunica, go back into uh, Tallahatchie County and all these different places that are predominantly black. These spaces are predominantly black, Jig. They predominantly black, Matt. They predominantly black, E. Cold water is predominantly black. We're supposed to control it. We supposed to control it. It don't supposed to be no talk about cold water potentially becoming North Central. You see what I'm saying? That's a reality. That's that's about to happen if your generation don't care about cold water. But white people gonna gobble it up. The Arabs already pretty much control the economy. In it. We gotta have young black determined people like y'all that's gonna say, okay, it's more than just about this money. It's about this politics too. We gotta control the politics. And you got to take the politics to incentivize the, the black businessman. And you got to turn cold water into a South Haven for black people. That can happen. But we don't believe it can happen. Because we don't value what inherently we can do for ourselves. 
we looking at what they're doing and we trying to attach to it. So that's what the process of Mississippi on the move is, is to re-educate black people and re-inspire us to see things from a different level than just money, uh, material, and, 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 and white acceptance. Value yourself. Turn your wasted places into havens for yourself, for your children. Ain't no way in the world, bro. It hurt me so bad, cold water school closed down. But then when I look at my cold water counterpart, they don't give a shit. I'm like, what the hell is that? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Hold up, hold up, Jake. Before we move on, how uh so you spoke on the, the areas of battle. How does that coincide with the weapons? With the weapons? Weapons, the nine weapons, the, the fraud, infection, integration, intoxication. Teach me. Teach me. <laughs> I I got that from your website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, I, I I think I think what you're saying, because see, I'm gonna tell you. A lot of people deal with my website, with our website, you know what I'm saying? And there's a lot of scholars that's on there that's constantly adding content. So a lot of what you grab off there, um, I may not be too familiar with it, you know what I'm saying? Well, I do understand what you're saying, but actually I'm not familiar with the weapon aspect of that, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I said teach me. Yeah, it's just it's just uh when you on the about us session it spoke about the 10 battlegrounds. So I, I read through it, then I read through uh stuff from the last summit and found out the author uh um that you spoke about of the ISIS papers. Mm-hmm. And uh I just wanted to know like how the two as far as it relates to nine weapons and uh the areas of battle, how they coincide, how they relate and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So so I'm asking right. from a, a point of being educated, not because I know. Right, right, right. Well, so I don't know. So what now? I'm sorry. So I, I go down the list. I know Matt got the content, but I go down the list. Okay. Go and I, I know these are probably topics y'all covered quite a bit. So I kind of let you respond today with these. But you got eugenics, fraud, infection, integration, intoxication, prosecution, misdignation, miseducation, and murder. Okay. I see where we at with that. See, those are the tools and weaponry of white supremacy. See, when you go back down mm-hmm. that list, you see what I'm saying? Those are the tools and weapons of white supremacy. And what it's basically saying is that if we don't fortify ourselves in those nine areas of battle, activity, and concern, those things that are, then we're going to be victimized by these things. Because these are tenants and weapons of white supremacy. What you yeah. just named, all of them, go back down just slowly for, for, for the people that listen. All right, you so got you eugenics first. Okay. Eugenics. Now, hold on right there. E. People may not even know what eugenics is. You know what I'm saying? And that's a controlled birthing process. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I think Margaret Singer was the white lady that introduced eugenics and birth control for black people. You know what I'm saying? So eugenics is a weapon uh, against uh, black people that's utilized by white supremacy to basically control birth rates. You want to go the rest of them? Or? Yeah, yeah. All right, you got fraud. Yeah, keep going. We know Infection. what Right. All right. right. Integration. Right. Okay, let's start right there because that's a word that everybody is familiar with, but do we understand how it affected black people? You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's a big argument now as to whether integration helped or hurt black folks. You know, it's a big argument now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when we look at it, um, the, one of the biggest businesses, and I'm just going to make this example and we're going to move on. 
we just 40 minutes into this thing. So one of the biggest businesses black people have ever had in America was the Negro Baseball League. Okay? The Negro Baseball League. If I had to ask anybody that question just in general, they probably would have never said Negro Baseball League, right? Nope. Mm-hmm. But the Negro Baseball League was a very successful black business across the nation. It created mom and pop restaurants. You know, black people got out of church on Sunday. They played, we played baseball, man. We played a lot of baseball. It even became so popular that it was interrupting the success of the major league. Okay? It was interrupting the success of the white baseball league. So white people had to get wise about that. So, like, okay, how do what are we gonna do about these black people controlling their own entertainment? Basically controlling their own economic process around the entertainment. See how the areas of battle work together, economics working with entertainment. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You can't just be rapping lyrics for white folk that destroying black folk just because one black person making money when it's destroying the rest of the black community. I'm just making an example. But they seen how powerful the Negro Baseball League is. And so what they did, they started calling black players up to the major league. And the first person they called up was Jackie Robinson. Now, they didn't call Jackie Robinson up because he was the best Negro Baseball League player. Why did they call him up? They called him up because he was probably the most tolerant to the racism that he was going to face. And he broke the color barrier because there were plenty of players that were better than Jackie Robinson. And see, if we don't if we don't study that intricately, we'll think Jackie Robinson was so good the white folk called him up. Nah, nah, bro. You had Josh Gibson, you had Satchel Page, you had all of these players, bro. That was absolutely incredible players, but they were gonna take shit off white folk, and they were perfectly content with being in the Negro League until the Negro League started losing their players to the uh to the major league you see what i'm saying so now yeah. teams have to you know fold they gotta fold uh or go with the plan and see that's why i'm not really starstruck about what Deion sanders did because Deion sanders could have been the king of the whole paradigm shift for college football and he was doing that and most people don't want to understand that because they 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 prefer uh celebrity worship as opposed to black leadership Deion Sanders could have been the king, and he was transfiguring college football with the transfer portal. So y'all didn't know I knew this much about sports. Y'all didn't know we were going to talk about all of this. But see, that's what I'm saying. Deion Sanders was a politician and could have been the king or something, but he sold out. You know what I'm saying? And he went and did what he did. And I know a lot of people don't see it like that, but he took a lot of black resources and implanted them somewhere else instead of keeping them in a black space and basically shifting how young black football players saw football. See, with a, with a charismatic person like Deion Sanders at a Jackson State, his influence can influence a Travis Hunter. Ain't nobody seen Travis what Travis Hunter doing since a Deion Sanders. He playing both sides of the ball. The man played 100, almost over 100 snaps at a high level. The man catching pass did come picking, picking the ball off. I got a problem because I'm a black man first. And I said, Dion, you took all these black players to a PWI, bro. 
that's 98% white. The only thing black on the campus is your football team, bro. But don't nobody see that. No value in black people. He was shifting. He was he was shaking the world up, bro. He was shaking up how college football was going to be played in 10 years. If Deion Sanders had kept doing what he was doing, Alabama would have a problem recruiting, bro. The big name would have a problem recruiting because of what Deion was doing and with the transfer portal changing so much. So I just stick a pin in that. But I'm just talking about the dynamics and what, what we're dealing with with the entertainment aspect and the nine areas of battle and uh, the weapons that white supremacy use against them. So, so what, you, what do you think for Dion? Because uh, I see it both ways. And I, I think it takes somebody of a certain caliber to be able to, to, to stand and do that. And so what do you think that timeline looks like as far as transforming it to where more players – want to go there because if if i'm whoever in high school and i'm coming out and i want to go to whatever situation is going to be best for my family at the time and i feel like uh a bigger school can get me there faster if taking care of my family is the priority like how do you combat that at that late stage like for, for, for someone that's born into it like if if you in my community right and i got you teaching me and you teaching me all this stuff from the ground up and I have a different thought process than somebody that's coming out that don't know these things, right? And so all I, all I know is I need to get out and provide for my family. And this looks like the best way to do that opposed to uh, the, the other end of the spectrum. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying about an influence like a Deion Sanders. See, when Deion Sanders tell you to do something, it ain't like I'm telling you to do it. So how he get Travis Hunter in Jackson, Mississippi? So you ask me how long do that take? Then you just base it on, basically, Deion Sanders accelerated the process. Look yeah. how fast he turned Jackson State around. So I'm of this belief too, back. It ain't nobody else on the planet more powerful and more intuitive and ingenious than black people. Okay? First of all, understand that. Understand that the NBA the nfl and even the mlb and if we wanted to we'll do the nhl like that national hockey league if we wanted to wouldn't be nothing and i can use a better word for it but i ain't gonna do it on y'all show it would be <laughs> nothing without black talent see so the market is black talent how do we trap black talent College football is about black talent. So what Dion was able to do, I don't know how fast it'll be done. He accelerated the process, man. With his influence, with his celebrity, we, we celebrity worshipers, bro. So look how long it didn't take him no time to change Jackson State into the cream of HBCU. And then they began to mess with the power five, bro. Because now you recruit people with a charismatic person like Deion Sanders, you recruit people like a Travis Hunt, who is going to be a phenom because white people just can't even understand this. How this boy play both sides of the ball at a high level. So what I'm saying is that I don't know how fast that could have been done because now you're not only influencing athletes, you're influencing coaches to get, I'm talking about 
former player. They can go and plug right into the HBCU. See, they ain't got to go through the coaching channels of, of, of Power Five. You know, you got all these black uh, former athletes sitting on the, on the couch. They can say, hey, shit, man, look, I'm going to go coach Bethune-Cookman. I'm going to go coach at Southern University. I'm going to bring my celebrity because this celebrity got a price on it, bro. Yeah. Not, let, let, let me say this, and I'm going I'm to, I'm you know, follow y'all lead. Deion Sanders just didn't change Jackson State University, okay? You know what else Deion Sanders changed? He changed the whole social, civic, business dynamics in Jackson, Mississippi. Now people want to open up restaurants after the game. Jackson State went from a uh, in the in the teens as far as like 15,000, 16,000. That was a big crowd for Jackson State to 40,000. What are people going after the game, bro? What are they going to drive away to Atlanta to eat? No. What are they going to drive away to Atlanta State? No. They're going to fill up the hotels in Jackson. They're going to fill up the restaurants in Jackson. So it was a whole city development thing that was taking place too. So when that started happening in black spaces, where black colleges are at, you incentivize the whole tax base. So now the whole tax base, now you got better schools. If it happened in Memphis, I mean, you know, we got better schools. You got better roads. You got all that stuff, man. So we don't look at it on that level, though, because we said, man, fuck that, man. Dion going to get paid. Dion was already paid. He the one said it went about the money. So, you know, i leave it at that, you know, unless y'all got other questions. But I'm just keeping it real, bro. And I see it on a level on how do we take our people from one place to another. And I think our celebrities got a lot to do with that. We need to hold our celebrities accountable, bro. No, they come from us anyway. From us anyway. You think Deion Sanders can do what he did, what he did at Florida State with the Dallas Cowboy with the Atlanta Falcons if he went black? He couldn't run no four two if he was white. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I'm gonna I'm read. I'm gonna read and show one comment. Um, Jess said. They was not paying Dion right in the black schools. They was they wasn't paying him. I know Jess. I know right. Jess. I know Jess. Okay. okay. And me and Jess had argued all day about that. Look, <laughs> that, look, Dion Sanders said it wasn't about the money, Jess. Okay. Well, you can call me, we'll talk about that. Now, when he wanna change his moral conviction, if he don't want to hold on to his moral stand, I tell Dion Sanders this, okay? Dude, you lied to black folk, okay? You said God told you to come down to Jackson and it went about the money. So now everybody want to make it make it uh, justified by talking about money. Hell, Deion Sanders was worth $45 million before he went to Jackson. So we don't want to talk about no money. He said it went about the money. Okay? So I think Nick Saban gave him a call. I think uh, uh, Cowboys, uh, who is that? What is his name? Jerry Jones? I think they gave him a call because they seen the shift happen. And that shit is way more powerful they said, look, Dion, look, man, look, we give you one of these power. Well, I mean, one of these, hey, man, we can't have this right here. You shifting how black, young black men think about football. You making them think again about black colleges. That's changing the that's changing the political dynamic. Football is politics, man. They 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 got a saying that go, you got the the uh the NFC, the AFC, and the SEC. Okay, that's politics, bro. Dion was changing that, and I think he got that call, bro. Yeah, so so I, I think, um, and to Max's point, I can see it both ways. 
Uh, I'm actually leaning more towards, and I have been leaning more towards, why did he leave so early? But when I ask myself that question, one of the things that come to mind is when Dion got to Jackson, there was things that happened within our community to Dion, like people stealing out of his vehicle, boom box coming up, up missing, things like that. So what, what, what are we doing to yeah, take care of people? That's a, that's a good question, but it, it still it it don't it, it it don't hold up, bro. Deion Sanders, did you see Deion Sanders at Florida State, bro? Mm -hmm. With the Jerry Curl and the and yep. the, and the and yep. You think Deion Sanders ain't about that life? When that happened, let's go back to it. I studied it because see, I was going to do a whole uh, podcast on the Deion Sanders effect. So I went and studied Deion life. See, most of us are so starstruck that we can't be critical and we act like we can't hold them accountable. I got enough moral character, and I'm not starstruck like that. Even though I admire him as an athlete, I want to admire you as a black man, first of all. And I think, you know what I'm saying, Deion Sanders, you can deal with somebody breaking in your car. Hell, yeah, you must have know Jackson, just like a lot of black spaces, are, are economically deprived, and you got a crime rate that's going to happen. Deion Sanders handled that business, bro. He handled that situation. So that's what we'll revert to because that's in all our spaces. You know what I'm saying? I just had a young brother. Y'all might know him. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. His name is uh, Trey uh, from, from Saad. It's Trey. Uh, what's Trey's last name? I call him my son. I can't even call him his last name. But he had his car broke in right down there in Saad, right? He called me. He said, man, I just had my car broke in by this little brother down there in Saad. And, um, School wanted to know what I wanted to do. You know, do I want to press charge or whatever? He told me, I don't want to press charge. I want to talk to the brother. That was the best thing he could have ever did for that brother and for himself. Okay? He talked to the brother. He realized that the brother, the young brother, about 14, 15 years old, he had been kicked out of school for vaping, but the A-Rab on the corner is selling him the vape. That's against the law. He ain't even old enough to get the vape. So he done got kicked out of school for vaping because people in his community is selling him uh, nicotine and they shouldn't be selling it, right? So now it's a community issue. You saying, no, that's just a little bad-ass nigga. No, 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 no. That's what we want to be because we don't want to deal with the problem the way that Trey did. He could have just said, yeah, I want to file papers on But watch what happened. So Trey called me and he said, man, the boy got kicked out of school for vaping. And I know we're talking about Deion Sanders, but it's filed into this. He got kicked out of school for vaping. I said, really? He said, yeah. And the A-Rab on the corner is just selling selling these young children, letting them come in there and buy the vape. Hmm. So it's a it's a predatory process going on in the black community. So the boy get kicked out of school for vaping when he shouldn't even be getting the vape. Okay? So now you got a community issue with the black aldermen inside. I said, so what you going to do? Uh, I want to go talk to the superintendent of the school and I want to talk to the alderman to let them know that there's a business operating in the community that's selling vape to the children and it's resulting in them getting kicked out of school. I'm saying this because I'm saying if Trey can make that discernment and say, man, somebody broke in my car. Trey ain't got the money Deion Sanders got. I'm saying Deion Sanders ain't oblivious of their life. Deion Sanders know people steal shit. But see, we'll take that and, and, and defend Deion Sanders. And all that I'm saying, hell, Deion Sanders recovered from that. It's worse shit that happened in a lot of places. And the only thing I'm saying, bro, is that how we look at our people and how we handle issues. So Trey was successful 
when he went to the school, he had a meeting with the superintendent. He represented the young man that stole his radio and charged the superintendent with kicking him out of school and charged the alderman with allowing a business to operate that's selling the children inside his bait that they shouldn't have that caused them to get kicked out of school. So now the boy out there, and he doing shit like that. See what I'm saying? So I'm just saying, I know you're saying about Deion Sanders. I'm just saying, people on that level, bro, that ain't that ain't no justifiable reason to just say, oh, man, Deion don't need to be in Jackson. Actually, he went in Jackson. Deion lived in Flowood, man. He, yeah, he lived, in Madison, yeah. he lived in Madison County. He probably had two houses. No yeah. And you know how Madison County developed, right? I got to mm-hmm. go down there and teach in Jackson. Madison County developed because they they stripped tax dollars from Jackson. I know the I know the mail down there. They stripping tax dollars from Jackson. That's how Madison, Ridgeland, Flowood, all them places developed. So they stripping tax dollars from the predominantly black uh, city of Jackson. Man. Yeah, and, and I, 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 I asked that question, and I brought that point up. That's a good point you made about the guy in Sardis. Um, I know we're talking root about analysis, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, real root cause analysis. Yeah, root cause analysis. So yeah, mm-hmm. so we talk, we talking about the black community, black economics, black politics, and all that. So I, I asked that question from what you thought about it and what your point of view, because part of that is too. Dion may have felt, and I'm not defending Dion. I'm not trying to make a case for Dion. But what I'm saying is, if we're gonna expect black people. Who are celebrities and have the influence to come into the communities and help uplift their community? How how can we balance the situations like that? Because Dion may have felt like he was royalty, and may have felt like no, ain't nobody gonna touch my stuff or whatever the case may be. But even on the flip side of that, not justifying him leaving Jackson because of that, but how how do we balance that knowing that there's a there's a doggy dog world in those communities when you got somebody that can come in and make that influence? Well, you asked me the question. And I'm saying you compare apples and oranges right there. You you compare uh, a lesser of an evil with what I think is a greater of an evil. When Dion came, he know he came into a depraved condition. That's why he said, God told me to go down here and change level the playing field. People that poor steal shit, bro. You understand what I'm saying? You know, children that born into poverty still shit. When you got a a a a a a a, a, a demographic that's being politically uh they suffering Jackson suffers environmental racism, it suffers infrastructure racism. Man, I went down there, I took I, I own trucks. I took a, a tractor trailer load of water to Jackson mm-hmm. when they had the crisis, right? I'm going in the community, Matt. I'm going in the community, Jake, and I'm passing out water. To people, me and my brother with the Elmer Drummond Pratt Gun Club, passing out water to people. I'm looking at people, man, got brown water running out of their faucet. You understand what I'm saying? So these are the conditions that, you know, I don't blame my people for suffering that level of racism. You know what I'm saying? That's that's racism. That's, why you say that's racism, Pat? Because what I'm saying is that that condition, that infrastructure in Jackson, that water system, it's the pipes that ain't been dealt with in 50 years, okay? That means that's a state problem. That's a federal problem. And the federal and the state is not tending to that condition. So what I'm saying is that a lot a lot of what black people are suffering from is not because we wanted to do it. We were born into this situation, okay? And what I'm saying about Dion is that it's a greater moral commitment that you made when you said it. 
I'm going to change a condition. But then three years later, I'm going to leave because somebody stole something from my car. <laughs> I'm just making the comparison. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just trying to get people to see things on a more mature level and pass materialism. You see what I'm saying? Uh, Dion going to make $4.5 million in, in, in Colorado and he only making 300 and some thousand. He knew that. He signed on for that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He signed on for that. He knew when he went there he, that, 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 that college couldn't pay him that. And hell, really, if you look at to it, it, but we don't want to be critical about it. We don't want to be critical about it. Colorado didn't even have the money to pay him. They didn't even have the money to pay him, but they knew his influence after he done pimped black folks and pimped the condition to make him bigger because he changed the condition. Now he become a valuable stock. See, I'm just trying to get y'all to see this on another level, bro, and let go of the, the idea of the celebrity words because to me, it's treason. To me, it's a form of treason. What you do with all the recruits that were coming to Jackson that you bailed out on? We don't want to look at that. Oh, man, he got the right to do that. No, do you really got the right to lie to somebody? Hmm. See, I ain't going to protect them. I'm just going to put it out there. Now, I, ain't that, that's I can't come in on if he lied to nobody or not. You don't think you don't think when you recruit somebody to come to your school and you bail out on them and you say, okay, well, look, I didn't know this was gonna happen. Look, y'all hit the transfer portal again. You don't think they lied to him? So now you leave I, them. I say I, I say I don't know if he lied to him. Oh, so well, I can't comment I, on it. I I'm just I just know the recruiting process, man. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I know what the recruiting process look like. You recruit people coming out of high school. You don't wait till they get to college and, and then you recruit them a year ahead. So then, nah, I'm not, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that the recruiting process don't start in high school and you telling them they coming to play for you because in essence, if they came, they did come to play for you, but somewhere in there you left. Which so maybe he did lie. Well, I don't know if he told him you gonna play for me for four years. No, nah, or know. did he say? If you show me you good enough, I'm gonna take you with me. I don't know none of that. Mm -hmm. Well, but I, I just that, know people that, that, that need to hear no there with the bigger picture of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess here, here's my two cent question. You know, as far as Dion go, but and I guess I just wanted to ask: Do you think it's something to be said for him? You know, opening mm -hmm. that door for TC Taylor. And then, I mean, we know, you know, what, what the Power Five conferences represents as far as being, you know, pretty much a gateway to the NFL. I don't think I know of another prominent black head coach on the Power Five level. So I guess I guess my question is, is that something to be said for the way he's doing it and potentially opening up doors for <clears throat> other HBCU coaches to come behind him? Yeah, I, and I see exactly what you're saying. And most people going to see it like that. They're going to see it like a progression. Gonna be. A process. But but at the same time, what I'm saying, you draining the ABCU tap. I got you. You know what I'm saying? Instead of yeah. add to it. So if you don't if you don't see, see, it's really like this, bro. It breaks all the way down to this. Like, like the old folks say, when you boil all the fat off of it, you saying what we saying, are we okay with people PWIs being incentivized and black HBCUs suffer. 
That's basically what we're saying. Can we use HBCUs to gain momentum and jump over here with PWIs and lead ABC? We think that's okay. Most black folk think that's okay. I'm just telling you um, from a moral position, I think it's way more commendable if we continue to incentivize ABCU. I'm I, right I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Right there. Let me ask y'all a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you think a, 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 a talent like Travis Hunter would make it to the NFL if he had stayed at Jackson State? I think so. I think it'd be it, it, the, I think so, the but he's not gonna be the same, but I think so. He you think what you think what? What'd you say, man? I, said, I think the path would, would, would not be the same. He but I still think he I still think he makes it. I'm gonna tell you the only difference. He just gonna play other black schools instead of and, and, and be more on TV because the greatest running back to ever live was Walter Payne, the greatest receiver to ever catch the ball was Jerry Rice. That's yeah. Mississippi Valley, that's Jackson State. So don't tell me black talent don't emerge wherever it's at. Now, when you take a talent, a talent and a and an influence like Deion Sanders and electrify that, and then you get somebody like Byron Allen investing. Billions of dollars in black college football. See, I guarantee you, Barry Allen got a problem with Deion Sanders. It's just not being publicized. See, Barry Allen invested. See, that's the business aspect. We ain't looking at that because you know why we ain't looking at that? Because we fanatics. You know what a fanatic is? A fanatic, break the word down. A fanatic is a fan plus a lunatic. Put lunatic and fan together, you're going to get fanatic. Okay? We fanatics, bro. We don't look at the business aspect, we don't look at the politics of these things. When Byron Allen invested heavily into HBCUs and and, and, and and put major media around, it was because of the Deion Sanders effect. And what he was expecting to continue to happen with HBCU. So we don't see our we don't see the politics of things. We don't see the economic incentivizing of black people as a as a priority, as a value. We don't see that. We see black folk getting paid by white folks as a value. Kanye West. Is an example, but I ain't gonna even go into all that. But you know, cause I know we big celebrity people. I just be trying to keep it real and uh, and, and bring some perspective to our people and to your generation that I don't think we had. And I, I, I want to. I got what you're saying. I, I think it's just a, a ultimate comparison to what you said earlier about the Negro lead and MLB essentially. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Jay. Right. Yeah, cause I mean, I just wanted to go back to. I know you were saying about. Um, you know, us moving from Coldwater to DeSoto County. I know, you know, Mac live in Texas. So I guess it's, I guess my question is, it's like, what do you find that balance? Like just staying in Coldwater and trying to, you know, become whatever you need to become versus going away so you can, you know, better yourself and then reach back so you can give your time and give your resources and all that. So where, how do you find the balance in there? You know how many times, Jick, I heard people say, I got to better myself, then I can better my people. Most of the time they say that, they're in a conversation with a person like me, okay? Because what I'm talking about is moral. And mostly what we lack now is so-called black people. We lack moral character, bro. Moral character has been stripped from us, bro. So we don't see no value in us. We see value in, in, in how society has presented things. So we don't have no value system for cold water. We'll let cold water die. And, and damn, they'll be proud of it that we left. 
You say so. I'm not telling an individual to stay in cold water if they want to go somewhere else and so-called better themselves. I'm of this philosophy. It ain't no one black man or woman that's better than the condition of their people. See, on the world scheme, you got LeBron James, you got Oprah Winfrey. I'm just trying to think of some examples. That's not the totality of black people. Those are individuals that we want to live vicariously through. We want to live through them people. You know what I'm saying? So we aspire to try and be like in, in some type of economic way, you know, those people. But we're not going to build a political foundation to make us a better people. And with us being a better people, our whole race value goes up. See, we don't even know how to quantify our race value. But actually, we do. Because we don't think our race shit. We really don't on a collective level. We on an end of rugged individualism now. See, these real conversations, we can talk, you know, every one of y'all got can have my phone number. We can pick up the phone. You pick up the phone and say, hey, hey, Pat, look, man, I want to talk about something we talked about. We can do that. And we can have more candid conversation. But that's what I'm saying. You know, I'm not incentivizing Jig that one, you know, this is a this is an inspiration type thing. Black liberation is something that black folk gotta have in their heart. They gotta be inspired. See, it comes with knowledge. It comes with uh, proper information, and it comes with inspiration to do it. it I, black, well, uh, how much money you made black liberation? I think y'all going to ask me about entrepreneurship at one time. What's, what inspired me to be an entrepreneur? I had determined that I didn't want to work for the same people that put my ass in jail. How about that? That was reason enough for me, man. I didn't want to mm -hmm. work for the same people that put my fucking ass in jail, man. That was just a fundamental thing. I was so I was like, man, I'm not working for them. So I figured out how I could work for me, and I ain't got a paycheck from a company or whatever since I was 21 years old, bro. I'm 49. Okay, so that's something to say. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just saying, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a moral position. I want to see cold water thrive. I don't want to see cold water fall down. You know, I think it's something wrong with black folk that come from cold water and don't feel no type of way about cold water dying. Something wrong with your soul, man. You know what I'm saying? And I call you out on that. Most people not going to call you out on that. You're not going to think about that because they ain't going to call you out on that. Why you letting cold water die? So something else can live? So these white folks out here straight horn who ain't never had the birth rate to substantiate a school and they figured out how to politically rob you and get them a school? Cause they yeah. robbed some of your district to get them a school. That's robbery, bro. But see, ain't nobody but me gonna call it out. And ain't nobody gonna, but me gonna make you look at that like that. Yeah, that's what they did. They can't get enough children out there, okay? Because they birth rate just don't substantiate the numbers to create a school. So they figured out how to manipulate things where they can justifiably get it. And other white people knew what they were doing, but they corroborated with it. Why black folks sleep at the wheel, bro? We sleep at the wheel because we trying to go go up here and come to Senatobia. Them good points. Great, great. Points. A lot of a lot of a lot of ones we we spoke about on the show, especially in regards to the school and manip yeah. manipulations of uh, county lines and red line. Yeah, red line. Yeah, yeah. 
age-old weapons of white supremacy. That might be on that weapons list. I don't know. Redlining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, <clears throat> just kind of jumping back into um, uh, BLM. So, like, what specific changes or reforms are you um, uh, you looking to you know achieve with your your efforts? Is it is it anything lined out? That you know you're just going after. Good question, G. Political reform, bro. Figuring out how to take predominantly black spaces and and govern them. You shouldn't live in an eighty percent black space and be go governed by a twenty percent white minority. That shouldn't happen. Nowhere in politics should that happen. White folk would never let that happen. Any other people would never let that happen. Eighty percent. Black space governed by a white minority, that don't supposed to happen. That's called apartheid. That's what happened in South 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 Africa. It's apartheid. You got all these black people, but these minority of white people that took over the government. They just seized the land. You know what I'm saying? They just seized the thing that value something. You know what I'm saying? So we willingly give that position up. So one of the agendas of Mississippi on the Move is to take the 18 to 30-year-old and weaponize them politically. Uh, make sure they register to vote. But see, we think voting, we think politics is just voting. Politics ain't just voting. Politics is your way of life. How you live. Your society. Why you think the police thought they could arrest that dude, that, that young brother? Because they thought they can get away with it. Because the politics around them suggested they would get away with it. See what I'm saying? They do it all the time. You know what I'm saying? So they just got outrageous and, and, and like it's not going to happen no more. But the agenda, Mac, Jick, is to weaponize the 18 to 30-year-old that think life really just about a paycheck now. And it's really not just about a paycheck. It's about your economics. It's about your politics. And I really want to show young black people how to, and not that I have done it, but the theory the black print, what I call, I don't call it a blueprint, I call it the black print. The black print is real, and you can't deny it. If we take our 18 to 30-year-old and we weaponize them and we teach them political education, then we can put people in key situations that first have us in mind. They're like LGBTQ. Barack Obama got 95% of the black vote, but what did we get in exchange for 95% of the black vote? What did black people get specifically? Oh, you can't. I, I can't do that for black folks specifically. Why not? Speaking Why of that, uh -huh. uh, I don't mean to cut you out, but this uh -huh. I had this question for later on in, in the segment. But what I wanted to ask was specifically about young voters and, and people that don't know much about politics. But, you know, you become 18 and now you register to vote uh, despite the fact of not being taught correctly in schools and potentially wherever you're coming from. Right. So how does that person that just turned 18 and registered to vote when they got their uh, adult identification card, um, how do they know what to demand of the, the politicians that's running for office in their community? Because I might get on here and see you talking tonight, right? And I say, you know what? I'm going to vote for whoever Pat vote for because I like the way he's talking and I feel like you know what I'm saying? I'm going to agree with what he agreed when it might not be at my best interest. So how does a young person that's just just getting into politics 
and I know it's going to be doing their research and reading, but like what path can they take to figure out the demands that they want from the politicians that they're voting for in their communities? Man, y'all ask great questions, bro. Elijah Muhammad taught that the intelligence is not in the answer. The intelligence is in the question. So this conversation is driving us to intelligent questions. So that's a very intelligent question, Matt. So you will say, well, I'm watching, I'm listening to Pat, and I, I like what he's saying. So I want to vote for whoever Pat. That's 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 what Mississippi on the move is. It's a political education campaign. It ain't just when voting day come, you pick these people that running basically win a popularity contest that you didn't yeah. even know that they was on the ballot. Okay, we got to have a selection process before the election process. So we taking the next four years with Mississippi on the move, and we starting our campaign of political education. Next four years, we really not worried about what take place this year. Okay, this voting uh, election year. We're talking about what's going to take place in four years. They give us enough time to start to educate that 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 uh, age bracket, man, to what real politics is. You know, yeah, you can still do your uh, thing, but you need to be able to control your politics. Who you like, you know? Who we like in Cold War? Who can change the dynamic that's taking place in Cold War? We need to find a mayor that want a school back. We, want, we need to find a mayor that want a school back, and we need to find all the men that are going to support that idea. Because we got to create that atmosphere in our community. So now we find a politician that going to automatically represent that. We don't need politicians coming to us telling us that they're going to run for a certain office. We need to tell them who's going to run for the office. Think about that. You got to create your politicians. Uh, Claude Anderson said, in order to control your politics, you either got to buy your politicians or you got to create. So you can't just have black folk popping up. Oh, I'm with the old Miss, man. And I. Uh, yeah, I, you know, okay, bro. Nah, bro. Nah, you know, yeah, yeah. So, um, Jim, were you gonna add something before we jump into? I know you, you had something like a problem. Uh, yeah, I was gonna ask. So, so Pat, what uh, what strategies uh have you found to be most effective in promoting your agenda? The best weapon that I have had, uh, Jig, is this power summit. Is the, is the Black Power Summit that we've been doing for the last six years. This will be the seventh year. And this year we moved it to Jackson, Mississippi because of the things that have been happening in Jackson, Mississippi. You know, you got a minority white folk trying to take over the whole judiciary system in Jackson. You know what I'm saying? But the Black Power Summit is, is, is a summit that we use to reach out and talk about Black Power building. How do you build Black Power? in all those areas that we talked about, those nine areas of activity, battle, and concern. How do we build a network of power in education? How do we build a network of power in economics? How do we build a network of power in the entertainment industry? And so on and so forth, in the political industry, and so on and so forth. So the Black uh, Liberation Movement Building Power Summit has been that for us. And, and every time that we have it, we have people that come in you know, from all over the the nation more so than we have people that come in from Mississippi. You know what I'm saying? And that's sad, you know, but it's a reality because people across the nation understand more inherently than the people that are right here at home. So, yeah, you know, that has been my, my best weapon, but we want to expand Mississippi on the move and have an agenda amongst young black people about politicizing ourselves. The, a good example I can show is the LGBT community. Where they come from? Why? How they got so political so fast? 
how they become such a reality in our life so fast. I just come back from Chicago, man, uh, utilizing, eulogizing one of my greatest teachers. And I stopped in Illinois, somewhere in Illinois, and I went to a bathroom, and I said, whoa, hold up. I'm looking at a sign that says unisex. Okay? It don't say men, women. It, it, it says unisex. That means I can go in here, a woman could be using the bathroom. But that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's politics, man. Politics is how I feel manifested into somebody else's reality. That's my definition for politics. How I feel manifested into somebody else's reality. Now, if how I feel ain't how you feel, but it's manifested into your reality, then that simply means I got more power than you. So if the LGBT community can implement and make me make a decision whether or not I want to walk into a bathroom that say unisex and I'm a man, they got more power than me. They have manifested themselves and their ideology into my reality. So now I got to pee, man. And I want to go into a bathroom that say man. And I can't go in there because these people have manifested their reality into mine. That's politics. Black people need to get some politics, bro. That's all I'm saying. So, um, excuse me for stepping away because I, I had to pee too. So, um, <laughs> I'm, back, I'm back, man. <laughs> but, uh, but I heard everything you said. Uh, yeah. So, um, to that point, what what defines a consequential black politician? And um, and a follow up to that, how important is it? How important is it to us to have those? Man, boy, y'all only man. What defines a consequential black politician? One of my greatest teachers, Mawalamu Baruti, he heard, he heads the Okoba Institute in Atlanta, Georgia. He was going to come to the power summit, but he's not going to make it. He said that black politicians are inconsequential to the outcome for black folks. That basically means we got politicians right now that don't have no positive uh, progressive politics that work for our people. They just base the whole position. Okay? So what defines a consequential black politician is a black politician that uses his political power to empower black people. Simple as that. You know what I'm saying? I got this thing. When I'm talking to politicians, a black politician, if I ask them a specific question about black folks, I always wait on this response. Well, look, man, I, I can't just do it for black folks. I, I'm a politician for everybody. I know then that they ain't going to do shit for black folks. That response makes me understand that you ain't going to do nothing for black folks. Even if black people are mostly responsible for you being in office, your response in telling me when I ask you, because I know what politics is. Politics is, is a self-expression. It's identifying. If white people elected white politicians that didn't do nothing for white people, they would not have them there. Simply that. We elect black folks that don't do nothing but hold office, bro. They don't do nothing specific with black folks. We got to get a consequential black politician is a politician that identify with themselves. And they use their political power from that vote that they got from their community, which is black votes. They black votes. And they use that, and we got to hold them people accountable. So that's what I'm saying. Why put an inconsequential politician into a position of power over you? You got to know who they are. I got to know what this politician stand for. That's what I mean by a selection process before the election process. Yeah. Yeah. Selection before election. <clears throat> yes, sir. 
Hey, make a song about that, uh, man. <laughs> you better believe he already on it. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so Pat, I know uh, we we mentioned the policing uh, uh, earlier. But uh, just as far as Tate County goes and this election cycle, this upcoming election cycle, what do you feel like are the most pressing issues facing citizens of Tate County during this election cycle? Well, I'm going I'm to I'm address black issues. You know, that, that's my politics, black yeah. issues. Yeah. Uh, and see, we don't even press our politicians hard enough so that they can identify with black issues. So, you know, when you, I, I know a lot of black problems, but they, they're not even on the radar. I, I sat down with uh, 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 Tony Sanders and Mitchell Shure the other day. I'm not gonna privy the detail of the conversation, but you know, I was critical. I was critical. And uh, at the end of the conversation, he thanked me for being candid and sharpening, you know, in a lot of aspects. Because I challenged, I challenged them. You know what I'm saying? You know, we kept using this term "black leader," and I said, "What justified a black leader?" You know, uh, and 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 some of the things that were being said didn't identify with a black leader to me. It identified with a black opportunist. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Well, most of these people that refer to themselves as black leaders, I'm not even specifically saying Tony himself. I'm just saying, in a lot of conversations I had, they identify as black leaders. They're not leaders because they're not even consequential for black people. They're not specific. You know what I'm saying? They're not saying, look, black people have been suffering this problem for years. And, and uh, I'm going to use my political power to help, you know, evolve that problem for black people. I don't think nothing wrong with that. I can't even see why they can't say that. What I just said. Why can't, well, Pat, won't you be a politician? I don't want to be a politician. You know what I want to be? I want to be the influence that determines who the politician be. I want to be, I want to help influence. I want to be Mel Coward. My time is, is I want to be a lot more consequential than that. I want to start a program of political education that's gonna help evolve the type of politician that we need, they're gonna shift the paradigm. Because we can do that. We just gotta get serious. Like French Perry Wilson said, we gotta get serious. And it's y'all generation that gotta do it. You know, it's y'all generation. So um when you have a situation where you got multiple black people running for office and they run for the same office and they get down and dirty with each other, and then the people, as you mentioned earlier, have a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. How are we gonna go forward as a community when we got us cutting each other out? Allowing us not to get those offices and not to be able to move forward as a community because we can't stick together. You know, you, right. you, may, you may agree or disagree, but uh, my this my thought, my opinion. If we could stick together, we wouldn't have this this situation. You know, you you wouldn't have to push as hard as you are, and we wouldn't be discussing black people pulling black people down. So if we no could stick together, you know, then we would have this, we would have it. So what what are we gonna do about right. that? Right. Good question, E. Look, my remedy to that. We got a, a number of black people running for the same position. I know how to dissolve them easily. I didn't did it. Just me on a personal level, on a microcosm. But you talking about a macrocosm, but just figure out which one of the blackest. Just question them on black agenda. See, when we got, let me show you what I'm talking about. If, if I could take a town like Coldwater, right? Got, what, 1,200 people in it, right? If I can get 400 of those votes 
but had Mississippi on the move political agenda. And we work with Mississippi on the move political agenda. 400 votes can sway any elected official position in Coldwater, from the mayor to the dog catcher, if that's a position, okay? 400 votes. And what I'm saying is that, hey, look, I'm at the bottom of the table right now. We got 400 votes behind E, Jit, and Mac because they part of the of Mississippi on the move uh, political agenda. What E, Jick, and Max say is what these 400 people do with their vote. So now, guess what? We got 400 votes right here, Jesse Elwood. We got 400 votes right here, Glenn Billison. We going to determine whether or not you're going to hold your seat. We got 400 votes. You see what I'm saying? So now, yeah. now they got to capitulate to you. Not capitulate to selling you out. You see what I'm saying? Now you're going to determine so now this become a whole thing. Hey, Mississippi on the move is one that moving and shaking this whole town, this whole county, this whole state. Mississippi on the move is doing it. This need to be a groundswell process that we need to adopt as a political mentality and we galvanize that power. So then when we got three, we got three people running for the same office, black. Just like I just got through talking to Judge Joe Brown. Judge Joe Brown called me. He called me. Because of that Elmer Jerome Pratt gun club back there. Because I talked to him about that and he wants security on his campaign. But while I'm talking to him, I'm learning his political vision for Memphis. You see what I'm saying? And he's telling me something that I can identify with. So what I'm saying is that his his political his political idea needs to be backed by a young black consortium of votes that can go right behind him. And then a desire uh, who all them other, you know how many people on the ballot for Memphis Mel that's black? About <laughs> five 15. No, 15. about 15. <laughs> you know five of them. But if yeah. you look at the ballot, it's about 15, bro. So so then you get this one white man like Jim Strickland. You see what I'm saying? And he get all the white votes. You see what I'm saying? And then he win. You see what I'm saying? So I desire that all them 15 by figuring out which one the black. But <clears throat> I guess I know what you mean, but just kind of define what you mean by the blackest. Which one identified with solving black problems specifically? Yeah. What we're going to do about crime? Hell, get more police and don't solve crime. Alleviate poverty, solve crime, bro. Alleviate deprivation, solve crime. If a man poor as hell and he going to store and steal baloney every day, he a bad person? Or is he trying to survive? Yeah. We gotta we gotta change how we look at each other, bro. For real. Just because you got it and the brother don't, don't make him a worse person. We gotta figure out how to change the dynamic, the the the, the, the societal issue for, for our people. So I'm looking at a politician that's looking at that and saying, Oh, well, we're gonna have more police officers to, to police your ass. That ain't how you solve crime. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I, I want to expound on why I said that because you know when we talk about cold water, you know, um, you know Jesse Edwards got criticized because he didn't put basketball goals up and you know wasn't into <clears throat> excuse me doing a whole bunch of stuff and we labeled that as well he ain't for the black folk, you know, but we criticized everything else, you know, yeah. that he was trying to do and bring uh, yeah. to the yeah. Jesse, Jesse, a friend of mine, man. And uh, we'd have had many arguments, <laughs> and we'd have had many agreements. 
Now, just on that issue that you're talking about, those areas are better, Matt. Those areas are better, E. We got to merge entertainment. All the areas of battle work together simultaneously. So, you know, it ain't one area that's more important than other. So I don't agree with Jesse making education more important than entertainment. You got to have a balance. You know, you got to have what we call my eye. That's yeah. a balance. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah, you can't make children study all the time and don't give them no, nothing to play, Jesse. You understand what I'm saying? So, yeah, I know what you're saying. You're saying niggas don't want to do nothing but bounce a ball. I know I can talk to Jesse, bro. No, I, and, and yeah. I was saying that, but but but, but I'm saying like just because he would, just because he didn't put the basketball yeah. up, up, like yeah. you know, you heard you had people saying that he wasn't for black people, yeah. and I'm yeah. like, yeah. it's just more, yeah. it's more to it. They they wasn't looking yeah. at the overall picture; yeah. they were just looking at one thing yeah. and making but, a determination off but, of it. But yeah. we got the community center up, and it's it's booked every weekend. Uh huh. So you for, got part, for parties and baby showers and you know not but you know yeah. that's a whole yeah. other discussion. But see, it got to be some entertainment there in Coldwater for real. It got to right. be some type of entertainment. I remember coming up, you know, and someone told me that ball field was very entertaining. They, it was softball community, man. People playing softball. You yep. know what I'm saying? And uh, it was a it was a cultural thing, bro. That's culture, and we in a culture war. Black culture is getting destroyed. And we got to bring black culture back. We got to bring a sense of community back. The old cold water I used to know, it ain't there no more. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we got to bring that back. We got to have political people that understand that. They got to remember that and figure out how to bring that back. And what I'm saying with Mississippi on the move, we'll make that our agenda. How do you bring our culture back? You know, we looking for somebody that's going to be the mayor of this town that understand we need a culture back in here. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it earlier, but just for clarity. Um, Mississippi on the move, you guys are attacking or looking to um attack the areas where we're most we're dominant as black people, right? No doubt, so like the Delta Cold that's, that's, the only, that's the only thing that makes sense. Okay, you can't, right, you can't okay. deal with majority white, but. yeah. So, so the, a situation like the Soda County or Senatobia, uh, specifically, it, w- it wouldn't make sense because we don't make up the majority of the voters. Well, the only time I really deal with Senatobia. And I have arguments with, with, with Mike and them all, well, not all the time, but when we come in contact, because they don't really deal with me. I'm talking about Mike Cathy and, and all them. Uh, is that uh, Senatobia is growing in black population. And in some places, they think it's, you know, in some districts, more black than others. But I understand where you're coming from because you understand Senatobia be predominantly white, right? Mm-hmm. The is predominantly white, right? Yeah. That's a political waste of time. See what I'm saying? That's a political waste of time because you have too many white people there to make a strong political determination of black folks. And that, and what I'm saying is that that's their area. And they have politicized their area as their area. Take for instance Hernando. Y'all know Kenzaki Jones? No one will. He, he, coached, yeah. he coached me. He coached, all right. And he coached Hernando. Me too. Why did he? my cousin. All right. Uh, we ride the other day. He said, "Man, don't you know I'm the only black male in the school outside of a janitor?" So I'm saying that because usually the school system reflects the community. So then the 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 racial dynamic of the school reflects the, the racial dynamic of, of the community. So he, what I'm saying is that how is he going to have 
the most impact in that in that set. You know what I'm saying? He will impact it, but he won't have the most impact. So what I'm saying about that is that if we already got black spaces, why not incentivize those spaces? So the the and, and then politically it makes more sense to organize black people where we at, you know, than than where we actually not at. Yeah, and, and the reason I asked that I had a follow up to that. My bad, Jake and Mac, but I had a follow up to that. Um, I know when you spoke, and I, and I mentioned it earlier in the show, prior to the uh, meet the candidates uh, for Tate County, uh, one one of the things that kind of stand out all the time for me is when we're not the majority, it's going to be tough to win the vote anyway. So how, how do or how should consequential black politicians be able to address us? And the rest of the community to be able to get that vote without quote unquote selling out and, and without you know pulling one side or another because at the end of the day, um, and, and I'm, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. uh, but if you look at the money we pay in taxes for the people who are running for office, everybody in the county pay taxes. So how do you position right. somebody to be a consequential black candidate, but be fair in general, versus just being one side one side or the other way? Oh. I know it's a tough question. I, I just, it's, yeah. just it, it, it's a layer question. You know what I'm saying? It's a layer question that makes me think about uh, how do I answer something that I don't advocate? See, first of all, I don't advocate black people that's trying to control white space. I think that's like a political death sentence. You know, if you got a supervisor that's black trying to control a supervisor position in a in a district that's predominantly white, I think that's political, that's like political suicide anyway. You know what I'm saying? So I don't really even advocate that. So it's hard for me to kind of respond to it because my politics is we got to win what we're supposed to win. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll make a good example. Michael Cathy was the alderman of the black district mostly, I mean, for 33 years. That's because it was black people in that district predominant. All the other four districts at that time when he was, they were white districts. And white people took care of their business. They kept white people in the position. It wasn't that black people didn't run for the position. White people just know their politics. They on code. They are on code. We not. Okay? So we get this uh, euphoric thinking that we can go into white community and become certain things. It really don't happen. It's not a reality. You can't put that down to a science and say, well, this can happen. No, it really don't because white people stay on code. So what happened was when Michael Candy stepped down untimely, it left that black seat open. This was a couple years ago. And so we was in a scramble to try and control the one political black seat in Senatobia that black folk could control with the number. So we ended up having to decide between uh, Mark LeSure and by Sean Tanks. And it was me who made the decision that we're going to roll with by Sean Tanks for the reason that I chose to roll with him. And so we put our power behind the scene with uh Sean Tanks. And the white people tried to steal that seat because the black community caught off guard when Mr. Cassidy stepped down. And they actually tried to do a rush election and steal that seat and try to catch us off guard. But we were able to galvanize enough. Uh, black people to maintain their seat. And the reason why Bashan Tanksley 
it is all renowned is because of black people coming together in a, in a, in a, in a specific time and making it happen. So what I'm saying is that I try to do politically what makes sense. And, and, and black people got to focus on black spaces. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm more of an advocate of cold water than Senatobia. Because Senatobia is a white-dominated place, even though it's growing in black population, it's still white-dominated. So I spend my time fighting where I think I'm supposed to fight. I was just gonna pick it back on it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how far you, you know, uh, watched the show, but you know, we've reached out to uh, Karen Mayer, Glenn Billingsley. Um, we reached out to Tony Sandridge. Um, and, and I know you said you spoke to him, uh, but I guess just from from our platform, we're just trying to figure out <clears throat> what can we do to, you know, give back as well as reach forward. So in your conversations with those two individuals I just named, like what do you feel like my generation, Jermaine, E, what can we do to uh, reach back and try to help rebuild cold water? Yeah. What, what, what Mississippi on the move suggests, make, create a political force, you know, create a real political force that's really consequential. Just, I mean, even if there ain't nothing but a test run, you know, just to see, let me see what Pat talked about. Let's see if it works. You know, let's see, can we get uh, young black people uh, registered to vote? And see, I, I, I'm one that had not been a political advocate in the past on the electoral side, you know, but I have become more political advocate because I think, you know, uh, the tax dollar is, is part of our ecosystem. It's part of our ecology. Ecology is an organism relationship to its environment. So your tax dollar is being spent, right? I mean, all these places that's working right now is working off a of tax dollar. And you got politicians that determine where their tax dollar is going. Tax dollar essentially become part of your blood, sweat, and tears. So if somebody misappropriating that tax dollar, that's just like you giving them the money out of your pocket and saying, do what you want to do with it. I ain't got nothing to say about it. See, I'm just trying to make it real. Here you go. Here go another dollar. Here go another dollar. Every time you spend a dollar, it's seven cents on that dollar that go to tax. Okay? So... I'm trying to make us understand from monetary terms, how do you control that tax dollar? Good example. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Jig, Matt, E. Senatobia got a ballpark right out here on the highway, right? I'm talking mm -hmm. about a sports complex, not just a ballpark, a sports complex. All right? You know where, that, you know where the money from that came from? Where? They implemented what's called a tourist tax, right? So they took all the restaurants, and added some tax to it. Like you might have been paying uh seven cent on a dollar, but when you go to the restaurant and you buy something for a dollar that costs uh a dollar, you're gonna pay a dollar and nine cents because they didn't implement a two cent tourist tax on all bad food in Senatobia. That money quickly accrued and grow to a certain amount of money that the city had determined gonna be going to recreational funds. Now, do black folks eat fast food? Mm -hmm. Yep. A whole lot of it, right? Black folk go to Wendy, McDonald's, Zaxby's, Sonic. Okay. So that money was earmarked to build that sports complex. Tell me this. Why ain't no black children playing out there? It used to be. So ain't no black children playing out there, right? 
Okay, so what I'm saying is that your tax dollar have been taken by politicians that you have not determined and utilized for the, I'm going to use a term, the quality of white life. How about that? <laughs> the quality of white life. See, politics incentivize the quality of your life. If your politics don't make the quality of your life better, you got a policy that working diamonds to your life. So black people tax dollars been took and built a multi-million dollar sports complex that Magnolia Heights. I see them all the time. Because every now and then I take my daughter out there to the playground. And she had to fight white children for play, play, for where to play. See what I'm saying? And I see Magnolia Heights out there practicing soccer. Hell, Magnolia Heights private school. See what I'm saying? But I'm seeing uh, all kind of white activity, all kind of organized baseball, frisbee, and all this stuff. I don't see no black folks. See, who going to speak to that? Who going to speak to that? See, we got to be bold enough to do that, bro. I'm tired of being the only somebody that's going to talk black. You know what I'm saying? They're going to be unapologetically black. When I know black is really a political position, and it's underrepresented. So we need politicians, bro. And so that's why I'm on the politician campaign because you represent my tax dollar. And I don't want to misappropriate. So, so I, yeah, I got a question. Uh, circling back to earlier, because you said, you know, you want to be the person that's organizing the force that's selecting the politicians opposed to being a politician. What, why do you not want to be a politician uh, with this level of thinking? Or, or do you feel like you're just more effective on that side of it? Yeah, exactly. That part. More effective on the the uh uh the influential side. Because if I become the male co-wall, then I have to deal with all the logistics of that on a daily basis. Instead of me being across the belt, instead of me being in the in Jackson, it's uh, inspiring the, the black liberation, black power building process. I don't want to be limited to uh, a, a town hall meeting in Coldwater when I really want to be in Jackson talking about creating more powerful black townships. So the Black Liberation Movement is a political movement. That's what it is. It's a, it's a political movement that's fun, you know, ideas and uh, uh, black folks becoming more politically inclined. So I don't want to be limited to a political job. I want to be limited. I want to be involved in the political inspiration that putting quality black people in these positions. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. And um, you got some chick? Nah, I'll leave it alone. You laughing at bro? Got, got some in your mind, man. Get it off, man. Go ahead. I'm just saying. saying. We'll be reading comments. <laughs> the, the current, the current may be all over Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, 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 this is what I did though. Off your tax dollar. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you. Off your tax dollar. You hey, bro. Hey, hey. It's a pimping process going on too now. It's a pimping process going on too. I learned I learned how much a supervisor get paid. You understand? $45,000 a year. Okay, well. Some of them might be making more than that, but that's a nice little convenient salary right there. You understand? That if you get it, 
hey, $45,000 year to do what? You know? I'm just saying, you know, it's a pimping process going on too. These people get free lunches, bro. They get stipends. They go places. But then when they go places, is they representing the people that put them there. See, white people not going to have that shit. You going to represent them or else you ain't going to be there. We don't people that don't really have a political agenda that hold our people to the fire, their feet to the fire. And see, when you when we have this political education program that we call Mississippi on the Move, that come with an education program. Then we teach y'all. See, I can see your wheels turning. I can look in your eyes and, and see your wheel begin to turn like, God damn, hold on now. Wait a minute now. We can get involved in this. It ain't got to take a lot, whole lot of time. It's just about galvanizing and inspiring people. You know what I'm saying? Just inspiring us and making us understand this reality that we need to deal with. Hey, bro, I'm 49. I had a daughter at the age of 46. So I got a little daughter, man. So I wasn't expecting that, but I have her. So now I got to think about, because my son, Amar, is, is, is 25. My daughter is 28. So they pretty much you know, no, they 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 teachers and coaches. That's what they are. They both teach and coach. Now I got to tell you what this I said that the universe gave her to me to make sure that I stay on my liberation agenda. You know, don't let it die because I'm doing this for my daughter. Future. I need to control what her future looks like. You see what I'm saying? I need to control what my daughter's future looks like. So yeah. <clears throat> so um right, right before we jump off the politics, um a comment that was that was made to me a few years back by a person in, in power um was as soon as you go up a dollar on a on a water bill or light bill, black folks want to vote you out. Why why we, for a Huh? Oh. I said excuse, I gotta step by for a minute. Yeah. So um why 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 do we have that mindset? That you know, this person going up on this bill, I'm tired of paying these extra taxes because the same stuff we're talking about, that's what they do. Like you just mentioned about the ball fields, they, they add this tax on. But when we do it in the black community, we want to vote, vote that person out, even though they're making progress. Right. Where does that, where does right. that make sense? At? Because we don't, in general, we don't understand politics. So I'm saying we understand our pocket. So when you see your light bill go up, you ain't saying, hey, Jesse, hey, uh, Glenn. Hey, Mr. Jackson, why my like? Hey, Mr. Rollbird, huh? Why my light bill go up? What y'all doing with this money? And they respond to you, well, we trying to build this right here over here, and that's why we're doing that. See, we don't even get that far with the conversation. We're not that, we, our politicians are not that transparent to the people, and our people are not politically educated enough to, to address the politics. They just know their light bill went up. You see what I'm saying? They just yeah. know their water bill went up. Why did it go up? Because if my water bill went up to build my children a playground over here, hey, I ain't got no problem with that. That's what taxes is. Mm -hmm. The Black Liberation Movement has a tax. Okay? That's our economic plan. It's a dollar a day. If y'all join the Black Liberation Movement, it was, hey, look, I'm, I'm imploring that y'all do. Join Mississippi on the move, I'm imploring that y'all do. The Black Liberation Movement says give a dollar a day to the liberation of black people. What is a dollar a day? See, that's our, that's our what we call the black tax. So that we can pay for the things that we need to do as black people. We farm. 
You know what I'm saying? We run agricultural initiative. We have a culture center right there in cold water. Can't get a child in cold water come to it. You know what I'm saying? I think Crystal made a comment on on yeah, on, on here concerning the culture center. Yeah, four thirty six Central Avenue. She says yeah. she's on, on Tuesdays from uh, four to six. Let me say this. Let me say this. Y'all got Jesse Edwards Library, right? Jesse Edwards Library, Coldwater. I'm going to say this. That place where she just put up there is the blackest library in Tate County. Okay? Don't nobody know about it. We got all kind of books in there. You know what I'm saying? Black books. You can bring your child in there and they'll learn more about who they are in 12 years of school. Okay? But we don't, we're not cultural. We don't we don't understand that, so we struggle to get people to come and study about us. I had people walk in there and they see on the wall, they see all these black folks on the wall, historic black people. I had people say, Hey, what is this? Like, y'all ain't never. I had Northwest students walk in there, and I say, I sit down and I ask them, I say, Y'all ever been in any place like this? And they look around the wall and they tell me, No, nah, we ain't never been in no place like this. And I say, Ain't that something? Y'all have made it all the way to high level of education, and y'all ain't never signed in a place like this. That's crazy to me. But hey, that we got, bro. That that we got. So you know, yeah. Yeah. Jake, maybe I got another question. I, I got another one, but I want to see y'all hear anything before. Go ahead. Go ahead. I do. Go ahead. Uh. Just speaking on the cultural center and and you know the the lack of uh, people, students, kids, whoever showing up, uh, and, and you saying like this is what we got, and you made it to this level of education without coming to a place like this. Uh, do you feel like had you not went to prison, like what do you think would have changed your mind? A person like you. Or experiencing something else, or you, do you just think it's the opportunity in, in uh, seeing it? Yeah. If I if I had not went to to, to prison, uh, Matt, I don't think I'd be on the level that I'm on. You know, I I don't think I would be on the level that I'm on when I think about it. You know, life is a uh, a series of decisions that's being made and uh some of them decisions you're not 100 responsible for so i didn't decide Great. to go to prison you see what i'm saying circumstances drove my life that way and uh what i learned in that period of time changed my life it changed my right. thinking it changed my perspective it made me see life through a clear lens it wasn't no roll color glasses for me no more. I seen what life was at an early age. And uh most people don't experience that. And and I think it drove me to a place where I'm at now with most people not like me. But y'all be the measuring stick. You know what I'm saying? Uh it what Pat Lamour was saying, logical. Is it uh do it make sense? You know what I'm saying? People got to be the brother. I have very few conversations where people have told me, man, that's just bullshit. I ain't had no conversation like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
And so the, the, the main reason I'm asking, though, is, is, is not because what you're saying don't make sense. I'm asking because how do we get to a point or, or how do we uh, identify those values and characteristics that can make somebody see that way without experiencing what you experience? We have to build institutions. You know what I'm saying? We got to build and it got to be presented more in our community, just like culture center. You know what I'm saying? And, and the lack of, uh, of, of, of traffic in the cultural center, that place is a public place. But we're not up there all the time because people don't traffic it. You know what I'm saying? People don't traffic it. I think we need to begin an institution building process, Matt, where people are uh, uh, exposed to the information a lot more. You know, we we learn it now from, from memes and YouTube. You know what I'm saying? And that's not a guaranteed exposure. We need institutions that say, hey, look, when you go, you go here every day and you learn this. You know what I'm saying? So you start at an early age beginning to learn. White people do it. Everybody do it right. except us. You see what I'm saying? So we're not privy to learn about us at early stages. We learn, we learn this shit at, at different levels now. I was talking to some brothers the other day. They call themselves conscious, but the shit they were talking about, I mean, it was stuff that, you know, so we learned it. It was stuff that I I I learned 20 years ago. You see what I'm saying? But they just evolved. So I'm just saying, like, we need institutions to be built. You know what I'm saying? That that actually teach our people daily like where we should be. It'll become normal to us because this ain't normal. Even this conversation ain't normal. Y'all had 32 conversations. I bet you. I ain't saying that this one is different. You know? And uh, because it's not different just because y'all didn't want to have this conversation. It's different because how many people you got in the community like me? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So that's what I'm saying. And how many people is willing to invest their resources, you know, like a sister crystal that invests a lot of time at their culture center, put a lot into it. But, you know, she get very sparsely rewarded because all she want to do is teach our children about themselves. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And, and we ain't even got a response to that to basically uh, reward her work. That's sad. You know what I'm saying? That's it. It is. So, I know, I know, Eric. I know you had a question, but since he mentioned uh, building an institution, I know, uh, you know, I follow Dr. Umar Johnson. I know he's been on the journey to, you know, open his own school, the Marcus Garvey School. Um, and I know you're ten toes down in cold water. And we've had discussions on this show with other people who've been on about now since the school is closed. What could we do? Um, to get another institution there. So I guess my my question to you is, uh, could you see a path where we could create something like what Dr. Umar Johnson is trying to do uh, up in Connecticut in Coldwater? I would love to see that. You know, uh, G, I would love to see that. But, you know, first thing I'd like to see is Coldwater getting school back, you know? I, I even asked Tony that. I'm like, Tony, where the politics that talking about cold water getting their school back? And, you know, I don't even mean to put Tony on the spot like that, but I am, you know, because we had the conversation. He couldn't even answer that because he know that the power that took cold water out of existence is white power. Whether you see it or not, it's white power. And he don't want to confront that. So he'll throw, watch this, he'll throw 
the lesser good out there. Well, we got programs like the Cold Water Youth Program. We got programs like Bridging the Gap with the older people. I said, Tony, I got a great teacher by the name of Marcus Garvey. He said this. And first, when I first said, you're not going to think it's relevant. Marcus Garvey was a Jamaican, but he always identified that he was an African, right? And they said, hey, you a Jamaican or you an African? He said, I'm an African. They said, wait a minute, you a Jamaican? He said, I will never choose a country over a continent, okay? Africa is a continent. I'm saying that to say this. Tony, those are programs. The Cobalt Youth is a program. Bridging the Gap is a program. Coal High School is an institution that produced Mildred LeSure, Wilson King, Jesse Edwards, Lucius Edwards. These are institutions that's open every day. You see what I'm saying? Y'all see the difference? Yeah. So we give up an institution for program. Margaret Garvey said, I'll never give up Africa for Jamaica. Africa is a continent. Coal High School is an institution. These are just programs. Don't play with me. Don't play with me. Right. We'll see. Yeah. Man, you threw me off there. All right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, look I, look, I lost my train of thought. Let me get back on the track. So, um, Co-Water Cool. Yeah, Co-Water Cool. Shout out. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, man, uh, one of the things, um, and you touched on it, um, when I saw you down at Kimmy Coffee. When you get your speech, um, people people feel like some people feel like you're a racist, you're an extremist, you're a militant. Um, you know, looking from the outside in, people try to um, paint their own picture of what a person is or what a, a program or an organization is. Respond to that. That's all I'm going to say. Good question, E. Thank you for breaking that up. I'm going to answer it like one of my greatest, most influential teachers, Kwame Toure. And I wrote this down, actually, before we started. It's the only thing I wrote down. <laughs> it's the only thing I wrote down. I didn't even finish writing it down. But, but they, show, they show you how people perceive what needed it. needed to be said. Yeah. 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 I, knew, I knew at some point it was going to come up in the conversation. Are you a racist? See what I'm saying? Bro, this is what Kwame Toure said. He said, if a white man won't to lynch me, he said, that's the white man problem. He said, if the white man have the power to lynch me, he said, that's my problem. He said, because racism is not an issue of attitude, he said, racism is an issue of power. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anything that Patrick Lumumba had ever said that caused white people not to eat. Is it anything that Patrick Lumumba had ever said that had called white people not to be able to go to the schools that they want to go to, not to be able to go to the stores that they want to go to, not to be able to live in the home that they want to go to, not to, I mean, to put white people in jail, to uh, uh, kill white people's children with, with impunity. Is it anything that I have said that had caused the detriment of the people that you say I'm racist against? Not one word. Okay, so let me ask you this. If the white man do the same thing, 
it's consequences to it, right? I see the uh the the, the uh news conference on the news and uh, I, I just got thrown off a little bit. But what I'm saying is that racism is an issue of power. So if the white man had those same sentiment that people think I have, it's consequence to it. If the white man feel a certain way, hell you might not eat. The white man feel a certain way, your water in Jackson might be messed up. If the white man feel a certain way, your child may go to jail if he's 10 years old and he arrested. Might go straight home. Okay. Instead of cold water. Yeah, okay. If the white man feels, thank you, Matt. If the white man feels a certain way, your child may have to go to cold water. And if he live on that side of 51, he's going to go to independent. If he live on this side of 51, he's going to go cold water. That's power. The Black Liberation Movement is about black people ascertaining power to make decisions. Power is the ability to determine your own outcome. So that's how you measure whether or not you got some power or not. You wake up in the morning, you got to go to work. Hey, you know? So I'm just saying, man, I'm just trying to be real. I'm trying to be candid, and I'm trying to be transparent. So people that call me a racist, instead of the fact that I love my race, see, that's 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 a problem. If you, I love my race so much that I'm willing to tell the truth. See what I'm saying? I'm willing to stand on the truth. I'm willing to love black folks so much that y'all think I'm racist. Not y'all, but people. Oh, you know, no, we don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But that's the scrutiny that I have to go through. That's the gravity that I got to carry with me every day because I love my people and I'm going to represent for my people. And a lot, a lot of us have become niggas and Negroes. I call niggas and Negroes. That's why I say black folk, you know, we, white supremacy have crafted a uh, 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 caste system of niggas and Negroes. These are byproducts of white supremacy. That's black. But they ain't black in their soul. They niggas and Negroes. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, I don't want to go all into that, but y'all pretty much get what I got, what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, and, and look, I told you it can go four to five minutes or two and a half. Yeah, we we gonna we're gonna all jump into um the summit real quick and we're gonna be we're gonna be much longer, but I do have one final question uh in right. response to that before we jump into that. So um the black power movement was about black liberation movement. I know you said it started when we jumped off the ship or when our people came off the ship up until this point, fighting back. Um not I guess to get what's ours, you know, right. not to take what somebody else would get what's ours. Right. What what um what if any differences are there between what you guys are doing now and what the uh, black power black panther movement did back in the 70s? Very little, very little difference because we model what they did then with what we trying to do now. So carry the torch. Exactly. Like I told you from the beginning, I didn't create the Black Liberation Movement. Black Liberation, I picked the I picked the the bloodstained banner up off the the the, the, the uh, battlefield because nobody else would. I thought it was relevant that I go back and pick up on the work of Kwame Ture, Ella Baker, Fannie Lou Hamer. You know, these, I'm just talking about people that work right here in Mississippi. You know, what I'm saying that we don't even we don't even think about those people uh, anymore in relevant. You know, those people came to organize black people in Mississippi. So the black power movement, even the term black power, became relevant right there in Greenwood, Mississippi. You know, 
with Kwame Toure and, and uh Mikasa Dada. And these that I have never met Kwame Toure, but I met Mikasa Dada in Dallas, and he would tell me the stories. And that's another thing. Uh a lot of these, uh a lot of this history we can get firsthand, and we're not doing that no more because we don't even talk to our elders no more like this, you know. So what I'm saying, uh E, is that black power is something that we always have yearned for. You know, it's it's something that in eight in black people to fight for, you know. Uh so uh I'm just continuing that, you know, and I'm hoping to inspire younger, more youthful black males for one thing, you know what I'm saying, to ascertain and fight for black power. I don't think white people should control all the resources of the planet. They're gonna tell you. I mean, for real. And we need mothers they're gonna teach their young black boy control something. Have some power, have some control. You know what I'm saying? We perfectly okay with white folks having all the power. I talk to white folks just like this. Today I had a conversation with Lisa Sanders. I think you a lying ass. I think you you a liar. You destroy black men life. You said up here on the witness stand, destroy black men life. Okay? Unabated. You you'd have done it so long to you just do it. I'm sitting in a courtroom, bro, and I just said the other day that the court system. Is a white man, it, 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 the court system is white people playing games with black folk lives. They don't even care about giving you 30 years, bro. They don't even look at you as being a father, like, for real, like, they don't look at you as being a son. I'm, I'm like, how can we sit back here and let this kind of thing go on every day? It's going on every day. <laughs> I just got to be dealing with it, you know what I'm saying? But we looking at it from an individual basis. It really is not happening individually. It's actually happening collectively. We just reserved ourselves to thinking like that. Well, it ain't happening to me. It's happening to you. When they took young Quintavious Easton to jail, they didn't just take him to jail. They took the humanity of black people to jail. Every black man in the in Tate County should have been on their ass. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You should be on their ass. Okay? It's supposed to be a response to that. It's supposed to be like, what, what, what they do? They did what? See? They don't deal with me though, because they already know I had a street living with black men with guns. Yeah, so I, yeah. I wanted you to uh, touch on something else. I know you mentioned Quintavious Eason and not being able to get <clears throat> any, uh, pretty much anybody to come and stand with you. And uh, I mean, we know the role that the black churches play in the community, but like, what's your position as far as? You know, getting the black churches um, involved in 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 what you're trying to do, and the you know the efforts you know that you're trying to push. <laughs> Doctor Murphy, the 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 uh, the Baba Baba basically means teacher and father. That I had to go to Chicago and eulogize. He taught me this, Jig. He said, "We don't have black churches. Watch this." Huh? They ain't got no black churches. Man, they 12 black churches right in Cold War. We got white churches that black folk go to every Sunday. That's what he taught me. I was like, wow. God, white, everything white. You know this. We just don't say it. So when you talk about the church becoming involved, we got to understand that the church got a steady diet of a white supremacist religious philosophy. Love your enemy, 
Love those that despitefully use you and turn the other cheek. That's a slave teaching. Or is it a Bible? John Henry Clark said, I question the intelligence of any man that believes everything in the Bible. Or don't get talked in the Bible. You ever heard don't get talked? <laughs> a man walked on water in the Bible. You ever seen that? Oh, man, you challenge my religion. No, I'm challenging your logic. Make it make sense to me. Tell me something different. Don't make me under, try to understand that literally because it don't happen. And it causes a dichotomy in my mind when you try to make me understand that literally and I know it don't happen. See what I'm saying? So it's a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor, but make me understand that. So what I'm simply saying, get back to the church. The church has become a very domicile, dormant component of the black community. Okay? It's not political. The church used to be political. I was just talking about Abba Cleans Jr. Have any of y'all ever heard of Abba Cleans Jr.? I have. Okay. He used to have a church in, in Detroit called the Shrine of the Black Madonna. I had I actually have a chance. The Nation of Islam uh, invited me up to speak in this man's church. And, I, and, and at the time, I didn't know as much about him as, as I know now. He preached black nationalism out of Christian pulpit. That means... What do you mean by that, Pat? He promoted black politics, black economics, black education out of a Christian pulpit. Now think about it now. If our preachers that standing in a pulpit would promote black nationalism unapologetically, because ain't nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with it? The only thing wrong with it, you think white folk got a problem with it. So I can't even go into church and talk black politics. Why? Because it ain't a black church. It's governed by the same plantation mindset when the white man first started up. You better not teach nothing that I didn't approve. And that mindset had continued to spiral into today. So then we, the black church is not going to get involved with contagious East because white people have determined that they the dominant apex predator. And the black church ain't going to deal with it. I talked to preachers about contagious East. You know what they tried to do? Deflect to his mother. Well, ain't nobody gonna support him because his mom. It ain't about his mom. It's about a black boy that got done the way that he got done, and it's about whether or not we think we got enough humanity to respond. So yeah, so your question was about the black church. The black church, in my assessment, and an opinion is different from an assessment. An assessment is based on factual research. So I ain't saying my opinion. My opinion is based on my feelings. Somebody said, man, my opinion. That's your feeling. You say my assessment, I'm finna listen. Because that means you done looked at something. You done read a book. You done read a book. You done did something to think you know something. So my assessment of the black church is that it's very non-political. It's very non-economically incentivizing to the black church. Everything that really matters, it don't get involved with. You know? And I don't have no problem saying it. So, and, and I'm not trying to be, like, controversial on them, but uh, I know Mr. Michael Cathy is a pastor. So, and I know, you know, you say you've worked closely um, with him. Like, what, what was his, I'm just, you know, anxious to know, like, what was his position as far as this situation goes? Um, this particular situation? With, with, yeah, with he, the, he, 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 he's supportive. 
he actually come through him and Mr. J. A. Jackson come through at the love and support breakfast that uh the Mississippi on the Moon created. They come through, but they was headed to uh some type of civil rights meeting down in Columbus, Mississippi. So they didn't stick around, but they did uh say that they supported what, what it was we were doing. Uh I'm just saying it's levels of identifying with something. You know, hey Pat, I support you. Go ahead. <laughs> See, you saying you support me, but you don't want to be seen. So I'm saying, hey, Pat, I'm with you, bro. And you right here. You know what I'm saying? You right here. When the cameras come, you right there. You know what I'm saying? That's another level of identifying, you know, with, with what it is. So it's different levels. You know what I'm saying? People try to play this stuff real safe, Jake. I got you. You know what I'm saying? I got you. Yeah. And I would I would put nobody on front street, but I, I just want yeah. to question. But, but that's a good question. You brought his that's name. A good yeah. So, yeah. so a, a follow up to that, Pat. So uh, and I agree. Uh some people say play it real safe, there's levels to it. Does it make it wrong to be to be a level that's standoffish but still supportive, or do, or do you have to be all in? Depend on the degree of the problem. And and I and and, and I think at this point. Black people need to be more identifiable with our problem. You know what I'm saying? Because we're trying to play it safe for things that really only matter to us, you know, and on our level. We got to be more consequential about our race. You know what I'm saying? And I think more black people should be more involved. You know, uh, so I ain't saying, yes, I am. I'm saying that black folks need to be more identifiable. Yeah, it, it make a difference to me. It make a difference to me what level you want to support a Quintavious Eason off. You know, uh, what's wrong with making a statement and say, I'm not going to have a black boy being taken to jail? I don't care. I don't care. I mean, what's wrong with a black man telling the world, I'm not going to have a little black boy being taken to jail by grown white men? So if you're asking me, do it matter if I just say here, here go ten dollars right here to help support the call. Uh do I think less of that than I think somebody out there on the front line saying, you know, we ain't having this no more. And if it happened again, this was gonna happen. Yeah, it's a difference to me. You know, your level of commitment, your level of dedication is different to me, and it's obvious. So it's not like I don't want because we saw the GoFundMe. Somebody could have donated. We see the GoFundMe. There ain't no donation outside of a few black people that I know that I was on conversation with that donated in this area. Some donation came from all over America, man. You know what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is that we got to be more consequential. We got to be more identifiable, and we got to be more uh, on purpose. You know what I'm saying? And, and like I said, ain't nothing wrong with that. I think it's a level of respect that comes with being on purpose that we never experienced because we're so scared. <laughs> when I walked in that courtroom, Victor Bird, Brad Lance, uh, 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 Lisa Sanders, they were on notice. They like, that's that black guy that ain't scared of shit. You know, that's that black guy, that Pat. You know what I'm saying? When, you, when, when somebody else do that, they don't see that. They don't see no no strong exemplification of they they see somebody that they continue to do what they do so i think if more black men were more pronounced about and intentional about 
our humanity, I think a lot of things will change. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Who question was that? Your mind. We transitioning to the summit. Yeah, I was just make sure y'all had on there. So um but yeah, so um moving over to the summit, uh seventh annual summit. I'm gonna put this up. I accidentally put it up a second ago, but uh we're gonna roll right into it. Jake, you can go ahead with your question. I post this. Um, but um well before yeah. Jake go with his question, Pat, we kinda let you, you know, give it um intro to what the summit yeah. is, and, you know. Yeah. So basically what you got, man, we got the seventh annual Black Liberation Movement, Elma Jerome Pratt, Building Power Summit, Free the Land, Undivide, and Reclaim. That's what it is. And uh, we're going to have a, a experience, not an event. This is not an event. It's an experience. And that day, the first day, uh, we're going to be doing tours uh, throughout Jackson. We're going to be down on Ferris Street at the uh, Smith Robinson Museum in Ferris Street, which is the historic black district uh, that have been economically deprivated. And we're going to go back and revisit uh, Ferris Street. There's a black area down there that they trying to gentrify now. But uh, and be at the Smith Robinson, we're going to be uh, having a meet and greet. A lot of people going to be coming in across the nation. And uh, we're going to be having a meet and greet and we're going to be doing tour. Now, that Saturday, we're going to be at Tougaloo College. Historic Tougaloo College. Tougaloo College was a, 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 a safe haven for civil rights uh, activists and black power people. See, a lot of people don't know that during the civil rights movement, it was also a black power movement that that was inculcated into the what we call the civil rights movement. And there was a lot of controversy in that. It was a lot of black folks saying, hell, we don't just want no civil rights, we want black power. <laughs> you know, and I identify with a lot of those people. And Tougaloo has got a very uh, particular history with that because Tougaloo was like a safe haven for a lot of these people that travel to Mississippi to help organize people. So I thought it was a real cool idea to have that Saturday. Uh, we take the summit to Tougaloo College and we're going to be at the Benny Thompson Center, which is a nice uh, place on the campus of Tougaloo uh, to uh, have uh, people uh, that's coming down. They're going to uh, rap with us and uh, uh, speak to us all the way from uh, New York. We got Hawk Newsom, which is a strong black activist up there in, uh, 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 in New York. We got uh, some talk on 2A. We want to talk about 2A. We want to talk about black people organizing with guns, you know what I'm saying, and being able to protect, you know, ourselves, or, organize protection, you know, with guns. And uh, we want to talk about uh, reparations. We want to talk about a lot of things. We want to talk about education. We want to talk about a lot of things. We'll be bringing in a lot of people. And I'll be one of the speakers that day, you know what I'm saying, uh, that, that particular day. Now, that Sunday, what we do, we dedicate that Sunday to the elders. We call it breakfast with the elders, where we get elders to come in that's very knowledgeable about our social situation and where we need to be going. And we sit down and we listen to them, you know, and we get our instruction. We kind of, we kind of follow the African protocol, an ancestor, elder, warrior, you know what I'm saying? So we want to get our instruction from our elders that know uh, what we should be doing and, uh, you know, just uh, encouraging us and educating us in, in that aspect. And then we also gonna have a a, 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 a armed demonstration too. See, I, 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 I done fell in love with these guns, bro. You know what I'm saying? Because I see the inherent power 
that comes with it. America was built at the end of the barrel of a gun. And uh, white people made a lot of progress with the gun. And so at this point, you know, uh, black people, I feel like operating under the 2A, under, under Second Amendment. When I say 2A, I mean Second Amendment. Uh, is a is a is a, a power move for us, you know. And I have seen how it works because when we go down there to protect protests, because I don't protest, but I will go and protect our right to protest. And we find that a lot of our people that suffering from these white social injustices, like the Jaheim McMillan and his mother, uh, Katrina T, they killed her son down there in Gulfport, and then almost threat they threaten you if you want to protest about it. So our job is to go in and make sure that you got the right to protest without any uh, uh, aggression from the police. So we go and we stop the police from doing what they want to do. So 2A organizing is big with us. And I found that when we exercise that, white people bag all the way up. It ain't no contest. They need to have the gun that you not have now so that they can be who they are. But when you got them, it's a whole different story. So, especially when you organize. So, we organize around there. We want to talk about that as well. And we got a lot of other people coming, like uh, Akil Parker, who is a mathematician. I call him a weapon. I mean, this guy is tremendous. He got this whole program of teaching black children math and history at the same time. He called it history mathematics. And I think that's something that should become a curriculum among black people. So, when we build institutions, we're going to need people like him to help us write curriculum and things like that. So we got some real- What's his name again? Akil, Akil, Akil actually reached out to us when we brought Frederick in. Oh, from uh, oh, yeah. from the mission you talked about? Yeah, about coming on the gotcha. show. okay. So yeah, definitely. Uh, I was trying to see if it was the same person. Get him on the show as soon as you can, but he'll be at the summit as well. And I'm inviting y'all to the summit. You know, we, we gonna have, oh yeah, I ain't mentioned this. That Friday, we gonna have what's called Media Row. Kind of like the Super Bowl where they have media day. We're going to have media role with people that podcasting and people that got, you know, they come down there and podcast from the sun. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to invite the media down and everything. So we're going to be looking to have a, a great experience, man. So, yeah. Yeah. You got something else on that? No, no. He pretty much answered, you know, my, uh, my question uh, with that. So, uh, can you speak to the significance of uh, the Smith Robertson School and, and, and some of the, or I guess I would say the significance of the locations that you guys pick? Yes, sir. Uh, for a lot of these events. Smith Robertson Smith School. Robertson School. Yes, sir, Matt. Smith Robertson School is the oldest black school in Jackson. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Richard Wright, if I ain't mistaken, I think Crystal on here, she can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, Richard Wright was a student, one of the greatest black artists from Mississippi, uh, was a student at Smith Robson. So it's very historic. It was a school that's now a museum. And we want to pick these historic places so we can teach these lessons, you know, in, in, in what it is we're trying to do. So that's what the significance of Smith Robson is at Ferris Street, because he's right in there around Ferris Street. So mm -hmm. all these places are in proximity to each other. We try to keep it in the historic black district. So when people come to the blackest city in the United States of America, that's Jackson, by the way. It's not Atlanta. It's Jackson, okay? Atlanta have more people. 
but it's not the blackest city. And uh, Jackson is the blackest, you know what I'm saying? So uh, when they come, we want to have, we want you to have a full experience. And I want people to appreciate the fact that we control Jackson. Black folk control Jackson. That's why white folk want it back. You know, that's why we suffer these uh, systematic attacks on Jackson. AB 1020 is an attempt for white people to get Jackson back. Not, not helping with the water crisis is an attempt for white people to get Jackson back. You know what I'm saying? All of these things is an attempt for white people to get Jackson back because white people want Jackson back. Who who Jackson named after? Anybody know it? I don't. Jackson named after Andrew Jackson. Hmm. He's president of the United States, but he was a former general that did a great deed for, for white people. He basically ran all the Choctaw Indians in, in a trail of tears out to Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? And see, that's the history that we missing, man. So these people basically took this land, man. And that's why we say free the land. Undivide and reclaim. Undivide ourselves. We got to undivide and we got to come together and reclaim what's rightfully ours. So we can't let them take Jackson. When I'm on these radio shows all over the country, man, they ask me questions like, what do black folks in Mississippi think about Jackson? Yeah, well, we call it Jacktown, first of all, you know, and uh, uh, the big house. Yeah, it's the big house, you know. That's why I'm pissed at Dion, man. I'm pissed at Dion, but hey, look, that's my thing, you know. No, everybody don't feel the same way I feel, but I know it could have been greater. You know, it could have been greater for black people, but we can't even see the collective progress because we live through that day. We'll live through him. We, oh, man, Dion, make him big, man. You can't hate on that, man. I'm not hating on him. I'm showing you a reality that we should gain as a people. And he ain't going to lose nothing. I mean, seriously. But I don't want to get off on that again. But what I'm saying is that Jackson, Mississippi is something black folks across America should be happy about. We control a city. We control a whole city. And we should get behind that, man. It's a civil war going on in Mississippi. It's a civil war going on in Mississippi. Jackson versus the state of Mississippi. Jackson versus the state. The governor, Tate Reeves, and all the white legislation, even legislators from here, Trey Lamar, the son of John Lamar, is primary in writing the bill, HB 1020. He is one of the authenticators of the bill right here in Senatonia. So you see how white, uh, the white supremacist social order as it pertains to politics want to control black municipalities. And we got to hold on to it. I call Jackson the fort. That's our fort. So when we go down there, we want, uh, you know, our black politicians to come out too, you know, so we can talk about it and let them know that we care about Jackson. If your ass ain't doing that, we want you out of out of the way. Yeah. Hey, what what what's my boy name? Uh, uh, uh Ken Stokes. Yeah. Ken Stokes. Ken Stokes. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Ken Stokes. Yeah, South South, South Jackson finest man. He, he he bump heads with the mayor all the time down there. But yeah. he, he got his followers, but that's a prime example too of us being divided amongst each other, amongst ourselves yeah. and yeah. not being able to get on the same accord. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. So I actually no bumped doubt. into I bumped into the mayor down in Biloxi a few months back. Cool dude. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. You been air talk? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Chokeway yeah. son. <laughs> yeah, Chokeway son, man. And yeah. hey, y'all get a chance, study Chokeway his vision, man. If you get a chance to come to the summit, you know, that's part of my presentation is to, to bring back the vision of Chuckway. Chuckway had a vision for Jackson, Mississippi. Chuckway from, from Michigan, man. But he studied black power dynamics. He studied black power politics. Chuckway was an attorney. 
one of the strongest turn I ever met in my life. And uh, he, he used his professionalism for black people. And see, that's another thing. Black professionals need to use their professionalism for more than just making money. For real. You need to use your professionalism as a skill to develop black people. You see what I'm saying? And uh, Chuck Way did that, man, on the high level. He represented people like Tupac, and he represented my brother, you know, right over here in the hood. You know what I'm saying? So he had a, uh, he, his range, he had range with his representation. He was very powerful. I'd heard so many stories of Chuck Way going into the courtroom and doing things that you wouldn't even believe, you know, to white folks, like with his legal, with his power. So, you know, to see his children, Rakia, you know, see a state representative, see running for state representative, and to see his son, uh, Anton, you know, doing what he's doing, you know, and holding it down, you know, I just think, I'm not sure that he internalized his father's vision, you know, 100%. And I don't even know if I should expect him to. But I know his father was great. I mean, absolutely great. You know, and uh, he had a vision for Jackson, Mississippi. He had a vision for black people. He implored that black people come to Jackson, Mississippi and make Jackson their home. And uh, I think that's a reality that we need to look at again, you know, re reverse migrate to the South. And, and building strong black politics and, 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 uh, and civic development in the South for black people. Yep, they've been spinning wheels on that water situation since he's been gone. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Man, um, you got anything else for us, man? I got hey, another question before you go. A couple. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm gonna ask Steve before he say his final words, if he unless he got more than it. Uh, another one of these locations I wanted to talk about was Marshall's Music and Bookstore. Oh, and yeah. Just can't tell the, the people what the significance of that is uh, to, to the community. Absolutely. Absolutely uh, significant. Uh, Marshall's uh, Bookstore is the oldest black bookstore in the United States of America. <laughs> you know? And the... Uh, the uh, maintainer of that bookstore or the, or the person that uh, runs the operation of that bookstore, she, her name is Mama Maati, one of the strongest black women I ever met in my life, you know, and uh, it's a it's a uh, jewel, you know, it's a hidden jewel. It's not big, you know, uh, but it's a wealth of information just walking in there and, and, and seeing the people that have come in there, all the people that have come in Marshall Bookstore throughout the It'll blow your mind, you know. And uh, so, Marshall Bookstore is a uh, is a jewel, you know, that's uh, in the black community in Jackson. And I think a lot of people need to uh, need to visit and experience Marshall Bookstore. It's down on Ferris Street in Jackson. Appreciate that. And then my other question was uh, all of this information and knowledge that you have. Have you ever, or do you plan uh, to write a book, yeah. autobiography, any, anything of that nature? I'm writing a book. Well, I've been writing a book for the last two years. And uh, uh, I ain't done with it, you know. And, and I, I kind of beat myself up about it because I started on, I'm writing a book right now. Uh, uh, it's called... Uh, I forgot the title of my book. <laughs> oh yeah, Domestic, Domestic, domesticated labor. 
<clears throat> domesticated labor, liberation in the birth canal. And uh, it was inspired by the birth of my daughter, you know, uh, Truessa. Uh, when she was born, she was stuck right there in the birth canal, and I could see her. And, uh, you know, I got very agitated, you know, with the process that the, the, uh, the, the hospital was going on because there was nothing but nurses there. And I didn't understand that it was policy that the baby can't come until the doctor who's supposed to deliver it come to deliver the baby. So I'm looking at my baby stuck in the birth canal. I'm looking at her. I can see her hair in the birth canal. But it wasn't until the doctor, Dr. Damali, I never forget his name, the black doctor. And uh, when he came into the, the, the delivery room, all the nurses just started to adore him. I ain't know whether to slap him or, or, or praise him. You know what I'm saying? He was there. So he walked in, they adorned him with everything. He looked down and broke down. He just looked up at her mama and he, he just said, push. And she grunted two times and boom, my baby came out. So I remember the moment walking down the uh, the hospital hallway. And I said, damn. I said, they're just like our people, you know, and uh, we stuck in the birth canal waiting to gain liberation and freedom. And all it takes is for us to push, just come yeah. together and just push. You see what I'm saying? So that became inspired me. Y'all feel that? Drop a bomb. That's for hard. Drop That's a hard. bomb. Yeah, man. So, yeah. So I'm going to finish that book, and I hope I don't have to work no more after that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, real quick, uh, Mandra Davis asked, uh, do we have to register a team? But I see Crystal already responded and told her that you don't have to register, but if you plan on doing lunch on Friday, you do. And uh, Crystal actually posted this link to register. Uh, don't y'all go down there and eat lunch and, and oh, don't go okay. to the rest of the <laughs> – Oh, okay. Oh, they talking about oh yeah, the first fifty people uh Friday gonna get free lunch down there yeah. at, at the at the big apple uh restaurant down there. Yeah, yeah. I, I man listen, this year we got the Elmer Jerome Pratt Gun Club, man, that uh has joined forces uh with the black liberation movement and uh it's headed by uh General Nick Belson. We run a military protocol in the in the gun club, so I'm the Southern Region Commander of about six states. And uh, Nick Belzer is the National uh, General. So we met down in Natchez, Mississippi, uh, commemorating our ancestors at the Devil Punch Bowl. And Elmer Jerome Pratt Gun Club had been nothing but exemplary, man, in joining on with the Black Liberation Movement and pushing. As a matter of fact, it used to be a $25 event uh, pass that you would have to get to come to the sun. This year, you don't have to pay nothing. Just come. And uh, it's done. You know, if you want to donate to us, they come because all the places where we're going or where we have to be, they pay for, you know, and uh, that's all because the Elmer Jerome Pratt Gun Club had decided to join forces with us and it lessened the financial burden, you know. So uh, this event is basically a free, it, this experience is basically a free experience. You know, you just got to, you know, you come to Jackson, pay to stay wherever you stay in and and come to these events, man, and enjoy. But the first uh, 50 people Friday is going to get a free lunch. And the first 30 people uh, Sunday at the uh, the Masonic Lodge, yeah, we're going to be at the uh, M.W. Stringer, uh, Stringer Masonic Lodge, right. 
Uh, I'm sitting here trying to read the fly. And the first 30 people will get breath of death. So, yeah. But, hey, yeah. Pat. <clears throat> uh, we had somebody in the comments uh, ask about books that you would suggest that, uh, you know, people read. Oh, yeah. Hey, listen, man. I got one right here. But the first one, we got a we got a a, a barber that had been to our summer before in cold water. You know, we've been having these summers in cold water with the exception of last year we had it at Kevin Coffee. And uh Baba Akiele Umoja, he's a professor at Georgia State University now, but he's a historian and he's a writer, he's an author. He did a lot of study in Mississippi. Both of his parents are from Mississippi. And he wrote a book called We Will Shoot Back. We will shoot back. It is about armed resistance in Mississippi. I advise people to read about the fact that we are our ancestors. I hate when people say we are not our ancestors. I hate that because that means that you don't know all your ancestors. You don't know that it was black folk that were going. I mean, literally, were not going. You know, they went on the form organized forces like the Beacon of Defense, and it was small uh, black uh, enclaves. That we as the government control Mount Bayou, we control Mount Bayou. You know, we government control. If a white person came in there, we watched them when they came in, we watched them till they left. You understand? Know and uh we will shoot back. It's a nice composite of information of the history of Mississippi and armed resistance. And this book right here, if y'all can see it, this this no. non-violent stuff will get you killed. All right. That's by uh, Dr. Charles Cobb. He's not going to be able to make it to the summit. I did have a conversation with him. But this nonviolent stuff will get you killed actually came from a statement that was made to Martin Luther King by a, 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 a brother by the name of Hartman Turnbull. And when Martin Luther King came to Mississippi, see, the misconception about Mississippi, all of us on here from Mississippi, right? Yep. Group missing, yeah. Yeah, you go, you, you go around the world, you go around the, the United States, and it's this sentiment that exists. Uh, it, it, it's ridiculous, but at the same time, I understand why that Mississippi is slow. Y'all understand that people think Mississippi is slow, but actually, Mississippi is very, very uh, it's an inherent value of black people that's in Mississippi, and it's very, very uh powerful for those people who know uh, the, the, the dynamics of people in Mississippi. But what I'm saying is that when Martin Luther King and people like Kwame Ture came to Mississippi, they didn't come to Mississippi trying to lead. They came to Mississippi to find the leaders and organize around them. And Hartman Turnbull was one of the leaders along with E.W. Steptoe. See, these people y'all might not even know, but they were leaders already in Mississippi. They owned their own land. They, they, they ran organizations like the NAACP, you know what I'm saying? And back then, the NAACP were more consequential to black people than what NAACP is now. So uh, Hartman Turnbull told Martin Luther King, listen at, listen at this exchange. Martin Luther King talking to Hartman Turnbull. And Hartman Turnbull turned to Martin Luther King. He said, hey, boy. Listen at that. Hey, boy. That nonviolent stuff going to get you killed. You in Mississippi. See what I'm saying? So Charles Cobb was part of the SNCC. He was part of SNCC, uh, Student Nonviolent uh, Coordinate Committee uh, that was headed by Kwame Ture and all them. If y'all get a chance, study SNCC. 
uh, Charles Cobb was a part of that cadre of young black students who left Howard University in Washington and came to Mississippi to help organize. And they experienced a lot of people who were telling them in Mississippi, hey, that nonviolence don't get you killed. You got to be able to fight back around here. You know what I'm saying? So this is one of my, this is actually one of the books that require reading for the Elvin Geronimo Pratt Gun Club. Uh, we will shoot back. That nonviolent stuff will get you killed. The autobiography, uh, well, not the autobiography of Geronimo Pratt, but uh, Geronimo Pratt's book is one I require reading. Read the ISIS papers. You know, uh, read, uh, Chris would be a better source of, you know, things to read, but these are books that I'm, you know, reading right now that I just uh, dropped just did. Appreciate that, man. Yes, sir. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, and we're about to be ready to go, but you mentioned Mount Bio earlier, and I know probably about, what, 15, 20 episodes back, we were talking about uh, cold water and the economy, and I mentioned that Mount Bio at one point was the um, the highest or the best economically driven black community in the world um, or in America. Right. Until, until right. it was broken down. Right. A lot of people start to fan off from the Delta move, you know, move up north, move to other parts of the state and stuff, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, so Mount Bayou was a uh, was created by a visionary by the name of Isaiah Montgomery. He was a, uh, he, 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 he was one of the more uh, free uh, slaves. Uh, I, don't, I don't like you the term slave, but he uh, provided for his own freedom and uh, he left the plantation and he come across, you know, this land which was essentially swamp land. It was essentially swamp land and he had a cadre of people with him. And he said, this is where we're going to build uh, our, our city, our town. And they were like, what? Like, yeah, this is where we're going to build our town. And they basically essentially turned a swamp into what uh, one of the white presidents who actually Rode a train through Mount Bayou. I think it was probably Teddy Roosevelt. He called Mount Bayou the jewel of the Delta, you know. And Mount Bayou became a safe haven. Uh, uh, and people like uh, Doctor Doctor uh, T. R. Howard studied him too. He was a profound businessman, farmer, insurance person in Mount Bayou. Uh, they were able to build wealth in Mount Bayou. Mount Bayou was the Black Wall Street of Mississippi, basically. And uh, Mount Bayou also uh, became, Dr. T.R. Howard uh, was responsible for Mamie Till's safety when she came uh, into Mississippi, you know, to deal with the, the, the issue with her, with her son, Emmett Till. Uh, a lot of people don't even understand, man. Uh, Dr. T.R. Howard had a bulletproof car even back then, you know, so it's just a lot of things about us, man. And I, I wish that, you know, we would take more time and study, you know, because, you know, that, that history uh, gives us value, you know, it, it, it gives us value, and we don't forgot a lot of that. Who that said? Mount Bayou was Tulsa before Tulsa. Exactly. Exactly. We had that right here in Mississippi, man. Mississippi got a strong people resource. I tell people all over the world, man. I tell people I'm from Mississippi, cold water Mississippi, at that, you know. And uh, they think we slow. We the same people that can take a piece of wire off the ground and fix your car. You know what I'm saying? So, 
Shout out to Bernard Silk. Yeah. No doubt, man. Y'all guys, man, been marvelous, bro. I, I really enjoyed this this uh this experience, man. So so Pat, before you close us out, I think I, I kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, but <clears throat> what would you say to us, you know, as far as using our platform to uh you know, educate our people. You know, that's what we've been doing. But, you know, for us to take it to the next level. Well, what, what would you like to see uh, from us on this, on this platform? Man. I, 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 I guess what I would say to you, E, and Jake and, and Matt, because y'all got an a interesting uh, camaraderie right here. You know what I'm saying? It seems like, you know, y'all camaraderie, even though y'all got different you know, personality, it adds to the, 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 the flavor of the show. You know what I'm saying? Uh, don't be afraid to have the serious conversation, you know? Don't be afraid to have the serious conversation, you know, because I think what they do, it broadens your spectrum, and it makes you uh, more consequential. It makes your show more consequential, you know? Uh, keep the entertainment going, Matt. You know, keep that entertainment and the flavor but also educate our people and don't be apologetic about doing it. You know, just, just be strong, you know, be, be strong. And I'm not saying that you haven't been, you just did 32 episodes. I hope you do 3,200 episodes, you know? So, uh, I, I feel honored that you even asked me the question, man, you know, uh, be consequential to the outcome. Let's just say that. How about that? Be consequential to the outcome. Get to the point where your podcast influence the the community activity around you. We get to the point where sticks and stones said it, it got to be done. Those guys with sticks and stones talking about this, just like the, how we look at the Breakfast Club, push for that, you know, and don't be afraid to entertain the tough conversation. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, appreciate you for yeah. sure. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Pat, man, we definitely appreciate you coming on, man. Um, been waiting for it. You know, we talked weeks ago. Finally got you on. You, you asked when we first got started how long it's going to take. <laughs> how long would it be? I said 45 minutes, and we've done two and a half hours. So now we've done two hours and 50 minutes. So, uh, yeah, man. We you know, did, so. did all this thing almost three hours. Have y'all yeah. ever had a show this long? Uh, it, it's so much. Barbershop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So, man, well, look, stimulated, man. Y'all, y'all guys have stimulated me. Hey. I got to get up in the morning, go back in the court. You know what I'm saying? So, but hey, I enjoyed this conversation for real, man. Y'all look good. We, we appreciate you fighting through, you know. Yeah, sick. I got sinus. <laughs> and we, we see you, you low sick over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. All right, all right. Yeah. All right, man. We appreciate it. Until next time, y'all. Thanks for watching Stick the Stones. All right. Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all, man. All right, man. All right. I'm from the land where it ain't that much home. Niggas lost it all, barely no telephone. I'm from the birthplace of chill crowd. Niggas go from playing ball to trapping, selling dough. I'm from Mississippi, yeah. 
Mississippi. Play ball or go to prison unless you look like Carolyn Dunham, the one responsible for the death of Emmy. Racism, Mrs. Stimmy. She should have died in the cell but never went to jail. The justice system had 68 years to get it right, but all they did was fail. They want to know why we rebel. This nigga well still in front of fair. Farewell, welfare. Water crisis in Texas. Check the wells there. I'm guessing they want us to starve to weird they neck like a scar. And we prepared to raw. Take it from the poor so they can have more. Nah, nigga, that was bread for. We ain't worried about him, though. They seeing house built 1020 to the city, but a new Jim Crow. Nigga, you can verify the info. They in your face with the insult. Stay locked in and refuse to lose. Been shooters in Mississippi since my move. I do Bro, that shit doing the show, then. What the hell, man? Hey, man, we out, man. I gotta take that offline. Y'all don't fuck here. It's head to be done, man.